All right, folks, we are back on the road to WrestleMania, the mania of WrestleMania, if you will. Tonight, we are looking at the new generation as it rises and falls and we give birth to attitude. We are looking at WrestleMania 11 from the great state of Connecticut. We are looking at WrestleMania 12 from California and then WrestleMania 13 in Chi-Town, Chicago. Yes, sir. And joining me tonight as he has been on this entire journey so far, because it was his idea, ladies and gentlemen, he's running on diesel. Mm-mm. It's Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? Put a black glove just to know that you're with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, fortunately, I'm not running on diesel because we'll actually be able to make the show last. Um, unlike <laughs> you know television ratings in 1995. Uh, sorry, Kevin, I still love you. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is a triple header we're doing right now uh, because nothing on these shows is particularly all that memorable. Unfortunately, these are three of the worst combined WrestleManias in history. But the story around them is kind of fascinating. So at least we have that to work with. And we have Pamela Anderson. And you can't say no to Pam in 95. No, Pam. Oh, is it Jennifer? Um, what's her face? Jenny uh, McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy. Yeah. Two Playboy Playmates. Two big stars uh, back then. Uh, the best part of WrestleMania 11, if you ask me. But you're not wrong, Pat. Sorry, Sean. Was... Not you. <laughs> you're not wrong. This is the wrestling at this time is not great, but the story, I mean. You won't you you don't have the attitude era without the three years we're gonna talk about today. Um, it's it's really we at this point, at this point in the story, we've been talking about how things have been going down for the WWF. We talked about the steroid trial, which we need to get into just a little bit, um, coming out of WrestleMania and Bret Hart's big uh big coronation, as it were. But you know, <sighs> As I think back on the years 94 to 95, 95 to 96, 96, 97, there's so much going on here. We have the birth of the Monday Night Wars. We have the end of the steroid trial. You know, we talked about the new generation, but what does the new generation represent? It, you know, it's a rebuilding period after Hogan, Savage, the Warrior at all. You know, the whole rock and wrestling connection has gone and left. Um, to the point where they'll make a reference to this in year, years later on. I think it was the slamber, the built the slambery on WCW, where it's just like, yeah, you guys built the road, but also left potholes <laughs> uh, that we then had to fill. And it was, you know, Scott Hall, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Kevin Nash, The Undertaker, Psycho Sid, all had the Bam Bam Bigelow, all had the inevitable, in, unenviable task of having to carry a very broken product through these three years. And I think I will not argue that the quality is good. I will argue that I don't know if anybody could have saved the product um, during these years. Well, and it's funny too, because this was a point in time where like, I'm still watching live as a fan mm-hmm. and I'm seeing this transition from, you know, the larger than life Hulkamania cartoon kind of steroid up physique era with over the top characters and not always the best in ring pork product. But right. a lot of a lot of solid in ring product at the time from a lot of these guys who are now in the main event situation or close to it on the undercards of these shows to support the headlining acts. Mm-hmm. But now a lot of those guys are the headlining acts and what's underneath them supporting them is very, very bad, um, not just in terms of the in ring performance, but the, the gimmickry around it and the, how they're promoted and presented 
it's not great. The package is not there as a whole. And one of the things we talked about in past shows is the guys who are now working on top, your Bret Hart's, um, you know, your Lex Luger's, your, your Yoko's. With the exception of Yoko, who got it in very screwy fashion, none of these guys got handed the ball from the previous generation, really. Right. There's some argument about, you know, Roddy Piper put over Brett, but it was an intercontinental title match on the undercard. Yeah. And Roddy's star, while Roddy's still a legend, had fallen pretty dramatically from his standing from WrestleMania 1 to 8, whereas Hogan is a guy continuously in the main events to that point and never really fell out of them. We, so it's we, a very different scenario. We've goofed about Bret Hart, but I mean, I do sympathize to a degree with him. He got no favors from Hogan, who actively worked against him. He got no favors from Flair, who actively worked against him. And if there were two guys that were there, that were there to hand the ball to Brett, it was those two. And they proceeded to throw it over the fence while yelling, and running back to WCW. And now we're transitioning from this to this. Meanwhile, the one guy who probably would have been willing to work with and hand the ball off to other guys is Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. But he's been sidelined to the commentary table and is, you know, by November, no longer a part of the company in 1994. So this is going to be our first section of WrestleManias without the guy who really has been Mr. WrestleMania to this point. Right. I mean, you, you know, you don't, you're not wrong, Pat. There was a we covered this on the last uh, one of the last two shows where there was a period there where they could have put the belt on Savage and Savage could have made somebody and he doesn't. He never gets the opportunity to. And then they say you're too old. And he says, well, I'll show you and shows up in WCW and proceeds to main event half the pay-per-views for the next five years. You know, it's pretty incredible. Um, so a bit of bookkeeping here as we go forward. So we're coming out of WrestleMania 10, big coronation for Bret Hart, the carry him around the ring championship style on their shoulders. And uh, the next pay-per-view that we go to is the King of the Ring, which takes place on June 19th, 1994. Before all that, um, and, and there's going to be a lot of back and forth here that we have to talk about. So just kind of go with the flow. On June 11th of 1994, Hogan officially, and he had been making some TV appearances up to this point, but he officially signs with Ted Turner's WCW in a ceremony that was held at the Disney MGM Studios. And the next month, Jimmy Hart is his manager. Hogan won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in his debut match, defeating Ric Flair in a dream match at Bash at the Beach, the match we could have had at WrestleMania 8 a few we years We would have if it didn't house show business, but it didn't. Well, this was apparently a record-breaking pay-per-view for WCW, giving credit where credits due. But when you but when your pay-per-views only make a dollar fifty back then, you know, and this and this one makes five dollars, it's a big deal. Also, didn't outgrow Sting versus Jake Roberts at Halloween Havoc '92. It's a fair point. Um, I'm just gonna let. Let's also, though, to give credit to Hulk, he did that on the same day he testified in court in New York during these steroid trials. Yeah, I want to. I want to deal with that real quick. So, um, United States versus McMahon uh, takes place in 1994, as we well know. This was covered when we talked about Dark Side of the Ring. We talked about it a little bit in the previous episode, but it's around this time before we get to King of the Ring that it that uh, Vince McMahon is found not guilty on exactly. July 23rd, 1994. And, and just to recap, Pat, the effect of the steroid trial on the WWE, it drove a lot of their star performers, namely the Ultimate Warrior and the British Bulldog at the time, out of the company. But it also made them have to sharply turn away from the big, bulgy, muscly 
uh, superstars that we all know and loved, and we had to turn to a more worker worker oriented product with smaller bodies and just the whole look of the product for better or for worse just changes overnight seemingly and there's the contention that i made in the past two episodes and it really starts to show itself here is that there wasn't enough time or opportunities and a lot of bad luck to really create the stars of the new generation it was kind of like everyone's gone and vince turns and says okay guys you're on and they don't have an act you know, they're just standing there, mid-costume, pants down, going, I don't know what we're supposed to do now. And they're like, sell tickets. Well, and again, think of think of the two guys who really probably for most people are seen as the faces of the new generation. You probably think mm-hmm. Brett and Sean, right? Right. Brett's been in that company since 1984. Sean's been in that company since 1988. We're seven years into Sean's run. Mm-hmm. We're 10 years into Brett's run. And they're like kind of the A and B sides of the, of the new generation. Right. Then you have The Undertaker, which we could do a whole separate podcast on. About how he sucks? Yeah, we could do that. About the history of The Undertaker and Pat's strong feelings on the matter. But I mean, here you had a guy who they start off hot and heavy with. And then he, as as he will then talk about, and we'll address it on our next show, for a lot of this time, instead of really making him a bonafide star, he's the Dragon Slayer. He's giant. He's fighting giant Gonzalez. And you know when I didn't you know, hate him, I didn't hate him when he made Jr. kiss Vince's ass. <laughs> he's you know he's doing a lot of feature, you know, a lot of specialty feature silly, matches. I was going to say silly gimmickry. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of that, and so so really the three guys before we even get to Razor and Diesel, um, and to a lesser extent Sean Waltman is you've you know as you said you've got sean and brett who no one did them any favors at all and then you've got the undertaker who's kind of made to look like a a clown attraction and so what stars do you, what stars to capture the people's imaginations and, do you really have and look at look at we'll get into this but we're coming out of wrestlemania 10 where two of the three featured main event acts in that show are mm-hmm. lex luger and yokozuna right we go to WrestleMania 11, and not since Paul Orndorff has anyone gone from the main event to opening <laughs> the match the next year right. until Lex has done it this year, as he'll open the show as part of a tag team with Davy Boy Smith. Yeah, the returning Yoko, Bulldog. Yeah, and Yoko now goes from main event world champion into a tag team with Owen Hart, which is all well and good, but right. it's still a steep fall from being the top guy in two WrestleManias back to back. Right, and now you're in a lesser role it's not it's not a not featured role but it's a significant lesser role and we'll, we'll talk about this we'll get we'll get into we'll start getting into the events themselves here that lead up to each of these successive wrestlemanias but there's an argument on this podcast uh that we're gonna have to deal with and the argument is that kevin nash is the lowest diesel is the lowest drawing wwf heavyweight champion in the history of company punk he, he sucks. He's terrible. This and that. There's a lot of hatred for, for Diesel slash Kevin Nash in this era. To which I say, follow us on this journey and ask yourself this question. You go from Oz and Vinny Vegas to Shawn Michaels heater to champion in like five minutes. Not a lot of time to prepare to be Hulk Hogan in this company. In At a time where... He was, it was kind of like, we're going to hand you the ball, Kevin. All right, but everything's hot, wet, and on fire. <laughs> and nobody's around to see it. Sell tickets. Nobody cares about your, about your fairy problems. 
for what it's worth, I also loved Vinny Vegas. So fair enough. All righty. Uh, so let's go to the King of the Ring 1994. The Owen Hart coming. How out, much does this guy weigh? <laughs> um, I have to I, throw the Art Donovan reference in there for the best worst color commentator <laughs> ever. Football great Art Donovan was on this show as a guest commentator mm-hmm. in every match. How much does this guy weigh? So leading up to King of the Ring, after beating Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental title in April of 94, Diesel was in the midst of a major push, okay? So I want everyone to keep that in mind. He's only been with the company a very short period of time. In 94, he starts getting a major push, and in 95, he's the champion. Think about that. He was considered the top contender for Bret Hart's WWF Championship, and a match was booked for the King of the Ring in which only Hart's title would be on the line. The feud intensified on May 30th, 1994, episode of Raw, during Jerry Lawler's interview segment, The King's Court. During an interview with Hart, Lawler invited Diesel and his friend Shawn Michaels to confront Hart. After a verbal confrontation, Diesel performed his jackknife powerbomb on Hart, which he's going to have to get used to because it happens a lot in these years, <laughs> after which Diesel, Michaels, and Lawler attacked Hart. The following week on Raw, Brett announced that he would have a family member whose identity would be kept secret until the pay-per-view in his corner to help prevent Michaels from interfering on Diesel's behalf. So which Diesel we all thought was going to be Davy Boy at the time. Right. So Diesel with Shawn Michaels defeats Bret Hart with Jim Neidhart in his corner by disqualification for the WWF Championship. Uh, And Owen Hart, as I said before, wins the King of the Ring. And it's like the height of Owen's career at this point. Layered storytelling, though, because we're going to shift into Bret versus Owen. Now Owen's done something else that Bret's done. He's won the King of the Ring as Bret did the year prior. Anvil came back, you think, under the auspices to help Bret because he, you know, interferes in the match after to try to neutralize Sean, who's interfering for Diesel. Winds up getting Brett disqualified, so while Brett loses, he's still the champion. But he helps Owen at the end of the night win the King of the Ring tournament. Why? They want to keep the belt on Brett, so now Owen can beat Brett for the championship. Because it's Anvil who's been telling Owen all these things about how Brett is is a bad brother and he's making him stand in his shadow, because that's what he did to the Anvil and the Hart Foundation. So we move on to SummerSlam 1994, and the only two matches of note, I mean, I know, I think this is the year of The Undertaker versus The Undertaker, but who gives a crap? Boy, is it. Um, (laughs) Who cares? That was not a birthday present I enjoyed. No, no. Uh, SummerSlam 1994 has two matches that anyone should actually watch or care about. Uh, One is Razor Ramon with Walter Payton in his corner. Sweetness. More on that later. Defeats Diesel, uh, who is the current champion, with Shawn Michaels. Um, and in your main event, Bret Hart, who is the champion, defeats his brother Owen by escaping the cage in one of the best matches of that year, Pat. Probably the best match of that year, in all honesty, in my opinion. Um, I think the only match that I would put up against it is probably their match from WrestleMania. Um, I think they were both better than the ladder match, to be fair. But I, I, there's nothing wrong with picking the ladder match either. Also of note in the Diesel versus Razor match, uh, like you said, Walter Payton's involved. That's important later. But this is also the start of the turn of Diesel to go towards the babyface role because he loses the match on Bosch Sean interference. That'll be a recurring theme in the pattern of Diesel and Sean going forward. <laughs> and it's very clear that there's a big affinity in the office for Kevin Nash because mm-hmm. he's a big, impressive-looking guy at a time where big, impressive-looking guys are hard to come by. He's not necessarily pigeonholed in a somewhat ethnic gimmick the way Scott Hall is, Mm -hmm. with Razor Ramon being somewhat of a takeoff of Scarface. He's a very well-spoken and articulate guy, as we'll find out when you talk to him and he gets to show more of his real personality. And Vince kind of sees this, and he's like, huh, okay. Maybe we do have big guys still worth something. And because he's Vince, he doesn't really want to get away from the big guys. More on that later. Yes. 
So we so we go to Survivor Series 1994, um, which is I, I don't have it in my notes, but it, but it is worth just mentioning. This is the I believe the infamous one, the infamous return match between the Undertaker and Yokozuna. If you'll remember correctly, um, half the roster came yeah. out and put the Undertaker in the in the casket. And all the Undertaker needed at this event was Chuck Norris to throw a sidekick at Jeff Jarrett. That's right. And Chuck Norris came out and saved uh, the Undertaker from yet another beating by the locker room. Uh, and he put Yokozuna in the casket, finally ending that ridiculous feud uh, a year, almost a year later. But the, the important stuff here for Survivor Series is as follows. The, the, have... the cap off of the greatest comeback in sports. <laughs> so you say. It's my, it's my argument for why this era sucks and I didn't watch it. Um, but... Uh, at the Survivor Series, the main Survivor Series match you should be aware of is the bad guys, which consists of the one, two, three kid, the British Bulldog, Fox Two, and Razor, and Sion versus um, the Teamsters of Diesel, Jeff Jarrett, Jim Neinhart, Owen Hart, and Shawn Michaels. Um, and why that's important? Because that's basically your big stars that aren't Bret Hart and in, involved in you know a match. And, uh, and yeah, the the Teamsters versus the bad guys. Uh, we see the cemented Diesel babyface turn uh, yep. where. He's laying waste to guys in this match, looking like an absolute monster and star. And, of course, you know, he's got Razor Ramon beat. And Sean's insisting, no, 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 bring him in, bring him in. I, let me get the let me get the kick on. I, I'm going to put the sweet shit music on. We'll do it, big man. Come on, everything's good. And sure enough, they screw it up. He moves. <laughs> Sean hits Diesel. Sean yells at Diesel and berates him. Diesel's pretty much had enough of this recurring pattern and decides he's going to chase Sean out of the building. All their other teammates start trying to get in between them. Diesel starts laying waste to them one by one and chasing Sean until Sean gets in his rental car and drives off. So Bret Hart's feud with Bob Backlund dates back to July 30th, 1994 on an episode of Superstars. Backlund... I'm glad you bring that up. Yes. I'll put that Superstars match up there as one of the best matches of the year that people haven't often seen but is well worth looking up. It's amazing. So Backlund believes he'd won the match and the WWF Heavyweight Championship by defeating Hart. The match hadn't ended, however, and Hart pinned Backlund. When Hart tried to shake Backlund's hand after the match, Backlund slapped him in the face. For the face second time. He's rubbing in his face. And locked him in a cross-face chicken wing. Yes, this is the infamous Bob Backlund snaps incident. Yes. Um, after that, Backlund began acting in a completely different manner than he had before, demanding respect from his fellow wrestlers, insisting that they call him Mr. Backlund. Mr. This, look... I didn't love this, but thinking back and being fair, this is probably the best heel in wrestling at this point. He is oh, amazing. By far. He he constantly you does malapropisms with huge words that he doesn't know the meaning of. <laughs> he's constantly berating the new generation for things they, they do wrong, okay, which he's not wrong about, like in terms of traditional moral values going mm -hmm. out the window and stuff like that. He uh, <laughs> he he gets made to look like a killer because they put the crossface chicken wing over like crazy, which is awesome. It's still my favorite submission mm -hmm. hold to this day. Um, but he puts it on everybody, and nobody can break it, and he's hurting people. Um, you, put, you put his personality into a bigger, tanner, younger body, and you have the best heel. You have no, you don't. It works because Bob is Bob, and he has very pasty white skin, and he's this amateur wrestler come to life again, and he's older at age 45. I hear and what you're saying, but I'm like 17, 18 at this point. I can't deal with it. <laughs> you can't, but you're not the target audience at the time. This is this still is very family-friendly entertainment. Right. And as, as he goes into he, – like he does some of the best promos ever where mm. he's like, I'll, I'll copulate with wild women. I'll <laughs> eat more marijuana than anybody. 
That's amazing. It, it just does crazy stuff like that. But but you know, to be fair, when he matches up with Brett in the ring, it's generally pretty good. Survivor Series is pretty good. The Superstars matches is one of the most underrated classics you'll ever see. I think it's the mm -hmm. best match they ever had. Um, I saw them wrestle actually at a Madison Square Garden house show against each other when Bob was still a babyface, and it was amazing. Like I was so impressed by the wrestling they did. And we'll get to the downside of this feud later, but. Bob winning the title is largely inspired by George Foreman's comeback happening at the same time that Vince was very uh, enthralled with in his own mm -hmm. life. And also it sets a very odd full circle stage with Diesel because what's supposed to happen is Bob lost the title initially to the Iron Sheik on December 26, 1983, Madison Square Garden, you know, by Arnold Skolan throwing the towel. And that's why we have the stipulation in this match of to, to win the match, your corner person has to throw the towel in. So Bob has Owen Hart as his corner person. Brett has Davey as his corner person. Owen with the ultimate heel move and the finish is crying while Brett's locked in the chicken wing and can't break out of it, pleading with his mother and father while Davey's knocked out. Please, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for this to happen. Helen grabs the towel as a concerned mother throws in. Owen starts celebrating, woo, and runs for the back because he just pulled off the biggest screw job until a couple <laughs> years later. I do Same remember thing. that. I remember laughing pretty handily at, uh, at Owen Hart and his antics in that match. Now, what happens is on January 23rd of 1984, Bob Backlund is supposed to have his rematch with the Iron Sheik at Madison Square Garden, but because of injuries sustained in the match, he can't do it. And this young, robust fellow who'd been making a name for himself in Minneapolis named Hulk Hogan comes in and takes Backlund's place and runs right through this dastardly Iron Sheik and kicks off this thing called Hulkamania in yep. the WWF at least. Much in the same vein... Brett is injured and cannot make his scheduled rematch for the title at Madison Square Garden against Bob Backlund. And a late substitute is brought in named Diesel, who in eight seconds mows right through Mr. Backlund and becomes the World Wrestling Federation champion, capping off a year where he had won the Intercontinental and Tag Team Championships prior to this and now has won the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And I think the year prior, he had just been... He had just been Sean Teeter. He had just only come into the company. I mean, this is a really, like, fast track that Kevin Nash is on to, you know, which lends credence to, I think, my argument of it's a little unfair to be like, oh, he was a terribly drawing champion, all of this. What time was – you think about everybody else. You think about Savage, right? Savage gets the title at WrestleMania four. He's been in the company two years at that point. Two, three years. He's been in the company three years at that point. Yeah, yeah. three years. And look at how much look at how much they did for Savage to get him ready for that, including the night itself that he wins the damn thing. Yeah. You know, and how and I think we had argued between WrestleMania four and WrestleMania five, you know, starting with WrestleMania three and going and going to five is the WWE WWF any bigger than it is during that period. Meanwhile, here's poor Kevin Nash. Who has a year to get himself, you know, known to the fans at a time when the industry couldn't be at its lowest in the wake of the steroid trial? Not to mention now the opposition has just taken the biggest name in your company's history and brought right. him over there. Right, and uh, and on the other channel is Hulk is is the guy who everyone knows and his buddy who we just mentioned, uh, also with Ric Flair. Everybody that was ever popular in this company is now on the other channel. Yeah, except for Flair, who was never popular in the WWE. Stop. He couldn't um, make it in the big leagues. It happens. So that gets us to the Royal Rumble in 1995. And we are on the march to WrestleMania 11 here. 
Uh, so Diesel and Brett fight to a draw for the title. But the real story of Royal Rumble 1995 is Sean. He gets the big win here. He get he um he gets the uh, the Broadway in the Royal Rumble. He comes in at number one, eliminates eight people, and wins in 38 minutes and 41 seconds. And the biggest surprise the to me would have been that now you get to pose with Pamela Anderson in the ring, yes. and she gets to escort you to WrestleMania. Yeah, he. Uh, if you guys uh, can't tell, I really loved Pam. <laughs> So it was it was Jenny McCarthy who escorted uh, Kevin Nash and then Pam what? who escorted Sean. Well, it was supposed to be that, but we'll get to what mm -hmm. actually happens in the match. But um, but anyway, um, yeah, Sean goes coast to coast. First time ever that they cut the entry times down to a minute between entries because they didn't think Sean had the gas tank to go coast to coast, or Davy for that matter, who also had to go coast to coast. And it's probably a little bit more of a risk in that area than Sean. You know, just saying. So. Um, so that gets us to April 2nd, 1995 in WrestleMania 11. And I want to bring up a couple of things here. So it's, so it's 1995. Um, like I said, we're, we're a year out, a little less than a year out from the end of the steroid trial, which, you know, which all of the investigations and everything, which we've already documented on the show had already been going on for a lot of years. I don't need to keep repeating myself. All the stars are gone and we're trying to build up new people. WrestleMania had been in one stadium after another outside of Madison Square Garden. And this year, it's in a rundown hockey arena in Hartford, Pat. The East, it's, well, it's the Hartford Civic Center, which is now known as the XL Center in, in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about two and a half hours from New York City. Mm -hmm. It is in the, the heartland of WWE territory because they're based out of Stamford, at least their offices are. Mm -hmm. And... What's funny is part of the reason I think that might have motivated them to do it there is one, it's dirt cheap to run. Sure. Two, you can juice ticket prices pretty heavily. The average ticket price for the show is $50, which is a tremendous markup from what your average pay-per-view is at this point in time. Your average pay-per-view ticket for the WWF is about $19. So you've now more than doubled that for this show. <laughs> also, Going back to the Royal Rumble, which was in Tampa, a lot of the guys showed up to that show in worse for wear kind of shape. So they had big public workouts in New York and Times Square for this WrestleMania. And I think part of the rationale was they didn't trust the talent to be in a very populous, fun area and show up in condition to work a good show. So they based it out of Stanford. And also they told all the guys, yeah, there's a big meeting scheduled Sunday morning before the show. You guys got to be there. And this is Vince telling everybody that. So Sunday morning, everyone gets to, you know, the Hartford Civic Center at, you know, 9 a.m. Vince is nowhere to be found. J.J. Dillon's there running the meeting and says, all right, everybody have a good show. <laughs> so point of order. WrestleMania 8, Hoosier Dome. 62,167, the wiki tells me, in attendance. Caesars Palace, WrestleMania 9, 1993. A sharp drop, but it's also Caesars Palace. It's a different built, differently built building. Um, 16,891. Okay. 1993, 94. We're back in the garden and the garden's not the world's biggest place. I mean, it's a basketball arena where the Knicks play and where the, um, the Rangers play hockey. It, it's not huge, but you know, they top out at 18,065. Okay. You know, and, and look, it's not, a, it's not about the attendance on that one. It's about the building. We get it. WrestleMania 11. 16,305 in a house. Ugh. 
But again, your average ticket price significantly higher. Mm -hmm. I think the gate total, if I recall correctly, was seven hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. you might be right about that. Which is pretty substantial. Mm -hmm. Just like I don't think there's a smaller WrestleMania than this one. And I, I will, WrestleMania I will that. not have you besmirch the good name of Hartford, Connecticut. Okay, <laughs> just jump it on that grenade, huh? All right, here Particularly we go. Particularly West Hartford, which is lovely and beautiful, and has a reservoir and a park okay. and a food market. So this match, this WrestleMania is made up of, and we're not. You know, normally, we go through every single one of the matches. We're just going to hit the highlights here. There's two. Um, the rest of this is just nonsense. Uh, but here are the matches, just a, as a point of order. We have the Allied Powers kicking off the the event with Lex Luger and British Bulldog defeating the Blue Brothers. We have Razor Ramon with the kid in his corner uh, versus Jeff Jarrett. Uh, we have The Undertaker in his uh, year-long feud with the corporate with DiBiase's corporation, taking on King Kong Bundy, making a reappearance in the company. The aforementioned Owen Hart and Yokozuna with Jim Cornette in their corner, taking on the Smoking Guns. Um, all right, and in your three matches that anyone gives a crap about on this card are minimally worth talking about uh you have bret hart finally finishing up his feud with bob Backlund in an i quit match with roddy piper as a special guest referee and that's about 10 minutes long bret hart obviously wins your title match which is not your main event which tells you a lot about this card your main event <laughs> is diesel with pam anderson in his corner defeating the royal rumble winner sean michaels for the wwf championship and sean has sid with jenny mccarthy in his corner now what happened with the lovely ladies pat well just to really skew uh diesel is the true baby face sean is acting kind of jerky and pam decides you know what i'm not gonna walk out with right on robert it is the only decent town in that state Sean's going to walk out. Sean, she's not going to walk out with Sean. She's going to walk out with Diesel just to pull a game of one-upsmanship on Sean. Sean has to settle for the oh-so-horrible prize of walking out with Jenny McCarthy well before she was a lunatic. <laughs> um, so Donnie Wahlberg somewhere is looking for me because I'm rocking his hat look and I just insulted his wife. So the match itself between Sean and Diesel, let's just take a second to talk about it. Sean and Diesel work well together. This was a this was an era where the click have a thing where they're only going to work with each other if at all possible. There's this the stories they tell and the documentaries that have been on the subject are basically like they were willing to work if they thought the person was money, they were willing to work with them. They were also willing to work with each other, and they kind of wanted to do a thing where everyone sort of rotates in a concentric circle. Um, you know, like, yeah, one big circle I'll jerk in the main event. I'll work with Razor this month. You work with Razor the next month, and I work with the kid, and it just goes, goes on and on like that. So Sean and, and Kevin have pretty decent chemistry together. And uh, look, there's a lot of bad in this era. This is an okay match. It's not WrestleMania quality. It's fine. That's the the, the thing that was always weird to me. Is these guys are best friends or whatever, but they'll deliberately mm -hmm. try to go out and make the other guy look bad at certain mm -hmm. points in the match to get themselves over. Like Sean takes the worst fucking power bomb bump you can possibly <laughs> imagine in this one from Diesel. Mm -hmm. They stretch the count out when when Sean hits Diesel with the super kick and has him down. They stretch that count out forever to just make Sean look strong and Diesel look weak. Mm -hmm. And undermining booking is going to be a big principle of what we're going to see through the next couple of events. And you're trying to establish Diesel as the face of the new generation. This did him no favors in any way, even with the big celebratory thing at the end with 
your A-list celebrities, yes, he did sandbag it. He landed on his fucking feet. Like, come on. <laughs> um, your A-list celebrities of the time, which Pam is definitely A-list. Jenny's the two-time Playboy Playmate of the Month, and she's getting her groove, but not quite A-list, but okay. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who is 11 years old. <laughs> Nick Turturro of NYPD Blue, which I love NYPD Blue. It's a great show. Nick Turturro was a good part on it, but he's like the C-level guy of that show. All right. He's like the third most famous of his siblings. So, again, I don't know what the idea was. It's, you know, WrestleMania has always been pushed on the celebrity involvement and effect in this one. Right. This one really didn't have much going for it, even compared to last year where you had the lovely Jenny Garth, um, Donnie Wahlberg, who was there, uh, Burt Reynolds, who's an icon. You know, like, come on, we, we could have done a little bit better maybe this year. No doubt. No doubt. And then finally, and we need to just spend a minute to talk about this, especially because of who's in it. But the main event of your wrestling program, Lawrence Taylor takes on with a whole bunch of football players in his corner, takes on Bam Bam Bigelow with Ted DiBiase and the corporation in his corner with such luminaries as Nikolai Volkov, Tatanka, IRS, comma. And the aforementioned King Kong Bundy. Nickel and Dime Volkoff, as he was known at this stage, because DiBiase yes. bought him. I put this in my notes, one, because it is the main event of this and it needs to be talked about, but also because this is this was an opportunity to make Bam Bam a, a big centerpiece of the main event scene going forward, because of, especially because of what we're going to talk about next, uh, another thing that changes the landscape in wrestling. And instead, you know, Lawrence beats him, and that's fine. You knew that the that the football player uh, special guest was going to beat the established wrestler. You know that that's just what happens. But the, um, the, the like I said, there was an opportunity for Bam Bam to come out of this and be a big star in the company. Where in a in a time that they that they really needed him, and this is kind of the height of Bam Bam Bigelow in the WWF. It just never gets any better for him. And it's really he sad. He doesn't, he doesn't last through the year in the WWF. Yeah. It, and He's part of it is December. because they misuse him considerably. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. And you talk about a guy who is not part of the old generation. Like, yeah, he had a sh very short run in the WWF from 87 to 88. that most people didn't even remember um, at that point in time. You look at him. Unique look for sure. You're talking about a guy mm -hmm. with tattoos of flames on his head, on his right. skull. A big guy, definitely a believable guy. Missing teeth, six foot three, 360 pounds legitimately. But like light on his feet. Like he's doing cartwheels in the ring. The One of the most incredible big men athletes you'll ever see who's capable mm -hmm. of hitting moonsaults off the top rope and enziguris and can bump his butt off and not just do your typical big man not to throw him under the bus, but Yoko at this point is completely immobile almost. How do you blow past the idea of Bam Bam Bigelow being the big heel in the company versus Kevin Nash for your next two to three shows? And you look at you look at the heel situation in this mm -hmm. company right now, it is dire. Right. Because you look at who's there, you have Sean, but you've essentially just turned Sean into a babyface in this match, and you're going to turn him into a babyface right after this pay-per-view, so he's out. Okay, you have mm -hmm. Sid. Great, Sid's a good-looking heel, almost as tall as Nash, built out of muscle, crazy, definitely believable. But he's Sid. Softball season's gonna happen at some point. <laughs> then you get past Sid. Well, Backlund just finished off losing his program to Brett. 
Yoko is not capable of being in a singles position at this point because his weight has ballooned so much, and is that's why he's being paired with Yoko. Mm-hmm. And like Robert's pointing out right now, if you weren't in with the click, you probably weren't going to get a main event spot unless you'd already established yourself there like Brett did, where even the, Brett got held down in the main events for a long time. The funny thing about Bam Bam is now the guys like Kevin and Sean claim that they were on Bam Bam's side and that they pushed for him to be in main events and, and that it was Vince that... Uh, is that, that why they turned him babyface immediately after this as the and, number three babyface behind Diesel and, that's and Sean? What Bam Bam says. Bam Bam's like, that's not what happened. You yeah. guys didn't want to play. Yeah, because again, you're talking, if Nash needed an opponent to help accentuate mm-hmm. his strengths and hide his weaknesses, Bam Bam could have easily done that. Right. But again, we don't get that. And you look at who Kevin's going to work with as the champion, who his heel opponents are. He gets one real good heel opponent the whole time. Right. Let's um so WrestleMania 11 not great. It's it's sort of, you know, it's on the calendar so we have to get it done, but it's not not the world's greatest show and it's it's just, you know, it's one of those where they they're trying to clean up the mess still and we haven't quite we're not on strong footing at this point. I want to be minute. shocked if that's also a big play as to why they ran Hartford course it is um i want to take a quick minute to remind everybody that grammarly is one of our great sponsors here a few listeners of the mania of wrestlemania on rattledge and broadcasting network brought to you by wqm grammarly is offering a free download of the grammarly software grammarly's ai powered products help people communicate more effectively grammarly helps write mistake free on gmail facebook twitter linkedin and nearly anywhere else you write on the web grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar punctuation and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors improving vocabulary and suggesting style improvements to download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. In a parallel universe where WCW doesn't exist, I am curious to see what happens with the WWF because it is the existence of WCW that pushes the WWF to make changes. That is the that is the big underlying current, the underlying theme of this era, that the WWF would have probably been more conservative and less likely to make changes had it not been for WCW. And here is an example of what I'm talking about that in by 1993, the WWF uh, had a total of five pay-per-views. We all know that the big five, right? Um, and in early 1995, as a response to a move by WCW to increase their annual pay-per-views, the WWF established the in your house series, which would be monthly pay-per-views that were held between the big five and sold at a lower cost. Um, da, 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 da. additionally, uh, the big five ran for three hours. The in your house shows would run for only two. So they were like, kind of like clash of the champions ish. Yeah. Uh, the most prominent rivalry heading into the pay-per-view was between, uh, champion diesel and his storyline rival Sid, not bam, bam, Sid at the previous pay-per-view WrestleMania diesel defeated Sean, as we talked about. Uh, partially due to an interference by Michael's bodyguard, Sid backfiring, like you do. Uh, the following night, Michael stated for uh, for a potential rematch, he would give Sid the night off, causing the bodyguard to turn on Michaels, because who doesn't turn on John Michaels during this period, by powerbombing him three times. Diesel eventually came out to help Michaels. Michaels was legitimately injured, and this sidelined him for six weeks, effectively shelving plans for a rematch between 
Diesel and Michaels. Snake bit, I tell you. Snake there was no plan for that, and there was no injury, so let's <laughs> move on. Diesel was scheduled to defend his title against Bam Bam Bigelow, a member of the Million Dollar Corporation, uh, after a stage confrontation between the two on April 16th, 1995, in the Action Zone. Uh, on the same yeah, day, the Sea Show. <laughs> on the same day of Wrestling Challenge, another secondary television program in a segment featuring the corporation, Bigelow was noticeably snubbed. Signaling a turn. Over the weekend on April 16th, a match between Sid and Diesel was scheduled for In Your House in which Sid could potentially face Diesel for the championship, depending on whether he retained or lost his title against Bigelow. On April 24th, on Raw, Sid stated on he was unha <laughs> unhappy about the situation as it meant that if Bigelow won, Sid would not get a title, uh, title shot. Diesel retained the title when the corporation turned on Bigelow. That's the aforementioned face turn you were talking about, with Tatanka tripping Bigelow as he ran off the ropes. Diesel hit Bigelow with a big boot, executed a powerbomb for the win. After the contest, Bigelow was insulted by Ted DiBiase and attacked by the corporation. Diesel, who had gone back to the locker room, came to Bigelow's aid. In Sid's match with Razor... Why does Diesel keep coming out to help everybody who was just trying to kick his ass? <laughs> Not great storytelling. May 1st episode of Raw, Diesel approached the ring ready to fight Sid, who, along with the corporation's manager, DiBiase, left the arena abruptly. The following week on Raw, DiBiase revealed that he and Sid had been working together for a while, admitting that it was him who told Shawn Michaels to get the bodyguard. It was me, Austin. It was me the whole time. The only bit of layered storytelling to this whole thing. All right. So this leads to uh, the very, very first In Your House, where they allegedly gave a house away on May 14th. They did. So you have... so. Two matches on this one of note, obviously. We have Mabel, and you'll find out why this is of note in a moment, who defeats Adam Bomb in a King of the Ring qualifying match. In like a minute and a half, I was heartbroken because I was a big Adam Bomb fan. <laughs> Adam Bomb looked awesome. Um, Diesel, and then, of course, Diesel defeats Sid by disqualification. And, Pat, let me ask you a question. How much do you think the constant DQ and screwy finishes affected people's enjoyment of the product back then? Look at WrestleMania 11 and look at how many finish, screwy finishes we had on that. We had the Intercontinental title match and then a disqualification. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's it's not great storytelling. You're, you're so, paying for the payoff and you don't get it. So in a, in a pay-per-view that has become legendary in its horribleness, <laughs> just 1995, not a great year. Uh, the 1995 King of the Ring, you have Bret Hart uh, defeating Jerry Lawler by submission. Do you know how, and, do you know how bad that pay-per-view is? That's the only match I really cared about and was invested in because it was a Bret Hart match. This is why I didn't watch back then, Pat, because they, because like my friends would tell me what was going on because like I still liked wrestling, but I was I was you know 95. I'm in college, so I'm not really concerned with wrestling. But Kate, but I had still friends that watched and. And they would like tell me what's going on. I'm like, oh, so what's going on in this pay per view? Oh, like, oh, Bret Hart's fighting Jerry Lawler in a kiss my foot match. All right. <laughs> like, I'm out. Thanks. No, thank you. But I will say the kiss my foot match leading to the, the bringing in of, of Kane as Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS is unintentionally the funniest thing about this era. Um, just, just like that's got Vince's paw prints all over it. Oh, 100%. So Mabel beats Savio Vega uh, in the King of the Ring final and becomes King Mabel. Oh, boy. Uh, Bigelow Whoa. and Diesel defeat Sid and Tatanka in a tag team match, and that is the King of the Ring. We then move on to your second in your house, the Lumberjack. Diesel again defeats Sid. Lucha Diesel, who dives over the top rope. And I'll tell you, I'm just looking at my notes here, and I... And <laughs> 
That is the only match I cared about on that entire show, or anyone else for that matter. That gets us to SummerSlam, the infamous SummerSlam, the re really the best SummerSlam, don't you think, Pat? Come on, Diesel versus Mabel in the catches catch can, got a Daniel Bryan CM Punk ish match. Eh? Where, we, where we almost saw the end of the career of Diesel. <laughs> Because Mabel legit just kicks his legs out from under him and slams all his weight into poor Kevin Nash's lower lumbar. And Man. somehow Nash is able to finish the match. But you have a legitimate six foot ten guy who weighs over 400 pounds crashing onto you like that pretty recklessly. Not great. Almost resulted in Mabel getting fired. I really am mad about the almost part of that. So let, let's sum up how we got from WrestleMania to here. So he's in a feud with Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels gets injured. Bam Bam Bigelow is your biggest heel in the company. They turn him face. What's left? Sid, <laughs> who he's thoroughly beaten. So who do you? So who comes after Sid? Who's around that we can put in there with Kevin Nash? Who can really accentuate the positives on Kevin Nash? Who can move ticket sales? King Mabel. King Mabel. King Mabel. The logical, the logical heir apparent to this whole thing. Vin What's Vin funny is you <laughs> have this taking place. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they tried to establish Mabel as a top guy by winning the King of the Ring. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, a week before this pay-per-view on Monday Night Raw, they had Davey Boy Smith turn heel and attack Diesel pretty much setting the stage for what was going to be Diesel's next, you know, feud or title defense or whatever. Mm -hmm. So now do you really have any interest at this point in seeing him against Mabel when the obvious illusion is now going to be, okay, it's going to be Diesel and Davy boy because Mabel is, you know, a non-factor in this. And then honestly, one of my favorite unintentionally hilarious moments in wrestling happens during this match. Mo interferes while the referee is down on Mabel's behalf. Lex Luger runs out to even the odds and, and try to help. And Diesel just hits him for no reason. <laughs> yeah, he hit him right into WCW Nitro, which yes, I'll talk about in just a second. The only other match on SummerSlam 1995, mercifully, is Bret Hart versus Kane. Uh, well, at the time, it was Isaac Yankum. Yeah. Isaac Yankum, DDS. Yes. You also and, had though the Sean Ladder, the Sean Razor Ladder rematch. That was I the mean, one that's on there, and it's a great, it's a great one. But it's I didn't it's put the, it in my notes positive on that show. Yes, and, and look, and, and if we were doing the you know the mania of SummerSlam, I would have included it to talk about. But I'll it, include one thing from that show. It's, and it's inconsequential. The, that's why I didn't put it in my notes. It's the first of the on-screen hissy fits that you'll see Sean throw <laughs> repeatedly over the next year and a half. That's fair. Um, so keep those in mind. I, I want to go back to the point that I made before that we can't get a decent finish in matches that really could have used them. Bret Hart when Bret Hart beats the big monster, Isaac Yankum DDS, Jerry Lawler's private dentist, because we're children, and that's the kind of story we're telling. And it's a in its DQ. I mean, yeah, he gets hung on. in the ropes like he's being choked, you know, as you do with the tie-up spot on the top rope, and they just pull his legs and try to hang him. Yep. All right, so the most interesting thing happening at you know in the third quarter of 1995 is that you've got Raw over on the USA Network, the uh, undisputed, unchallenged uh, wrestling program going on on prime time, and then uh, as has been told a bazillion times, Eric Bischoff goes to Ted Turner allegedly and says, "I want to do X, Y, Z," and Ted says, "Great." Here's a blank check. Go, you know, go, go do a Monday night show against Vince and Nitro is born. 
Uh, and that took place at the Mall of America in Minnesota on September 4th, 1995. And now you got a horse race. Um, the, smartly, the horse... Debuting, smartly debuting against a preempted Raw. Yep. And to that's capture the wrestling audience up. that was interested in watching the Westminster Dog Show. Yep. And that's, where, of course, where Lex Luger shows up at the end of the show. And there was this, you know, kind of like what we have now with AEW, where you never know who's going to appear on the next episode of Who's You Want See. Which takes us to In Your House triple header. Uh, they were not particularly creative with these names. The only match of note on this show is Diesel and Shawn Michaels versus the British Bulldog and Yokozuna with all the titles on the line. Who gives a crap? The next one, In Your House, Great White North. You have the British Bulldog defeating your champion by, say it with me now and take a drink, DQ uh, over in, in, Diesel. In one of the worst main events that there has ever been on any pay-per-view ever. Yeah, this is this is not good. So, all right. And if you ever wanted to point to a period where they might have been like, okay, I think we're out of Diesel, that's the match probably that did it more than any other because Davey was seen as a guy who was a capable in-ring performer. And to have such a bad match between the two of them, mm -hmm. it was kind of thought at that point like, well, we've tried with Kevin. And the arguments always made about Kevin not being a ratings draw or a pay-per-view buy rate machine. I mean, we do have numbers to kind of put some 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 pin holes in that theory, but it, it that match and Kevin's inability to have a good one with Davey after, to be fair to him, they stuck him with Mabel, <laughs> who no one has a good match with, right? Let's be fair. And Sid, who I think you kind of had the best matches possible that you could have. Yeah. But who else is he wrestling? Tatanka? Right. You know, these this is what he's seeing on a weekly basis as champion. He has like a decent TV match with Owen Hart, but who cares? Like, you know, the your your look, your biggest matches are you're gonna are you gonna be your your pay-per-view matches, and we just went over all of those. He he had an uphill slog in what was already an uphill slog. Um but, you know, let's talk about Brett for a moment. Brett's year has been interesting because Brett's been in a feud all freaking year. He goes from Bob Backlund to Jerry Lawler. And suddenly he's polished up and shined up to get his title back at the Survivor Series 1995, where Bret Hart takes on Diesel in a no DQ match because, you know, we because haven't you had, done enough DQs already. And that, and you've had tons of interference in their first pay per view match. You right. have tons of interference in their second pay per view match. The hell with it. We need something to a finish here. Mm. But also, it's kind of a testament to Bret that he's in this position because. The reason he's there is despite all the shit you've had him shoveling for the past, you know, year and a half between Backlund, who he can work with for the most part, except for that I quit match. Uh, Jerry Lawler, good lord. And I will never disagree with Mark. Jerry Lawler sucked. He could talk as he could talk as well as anybody, but he's 40-something years old. Mark said he looks like his neighbor outside mowing his lawn. He has the physique of a guy who's never seen the inside of a gym. His work is punch, kick, punch, kick pile driver i never i never got the appeal of jerry lawler in any type of way he's working besides those guys he's working against jean-pierre lafitte who stole his jacket that his mom made him these are the angles we're coming up with he gets the odd match with owen which is highly entertaining you know as mm -hmm. you'd expect it to be but no angle behind it it's like you know and still he gets the best reactions on the shows every time he comes out from the audience it's like, okay, maybe we have to pivot back to this guy. Okay, Robert's asking if this was Davy and Gene's time. Davy and Gene's time doesn't like come until SmackDown years later. 
To which time? <laughs> He's asking about the, the Davy Boy Smith and Jeans era. Oh like, no, that, yeah, that's much later. That's that is much later. Like yeah, we're not even close to that yet. All right, so moving on here. Um, Reverend Blue Jeans. Uh, so yes, the Survivor Series Brett gets his title back, and that leads us to seasons beatings where they try to recreate the magic between Bret Hart and the British Bulldog. This time for the heavyweight title. Um, this is another another classic Bret Hart family drama, as you've got uh, Diana and Jim Cornette in the in the corner of the British Bulldog. Uh, Bret wins. Bret always wins, except when he loses. Royal Rumble, nineteen ninety six. And now uh, we start the undercutting booking. Okay, so the 1996 Royal Rumble, this is all about launching Sean into the stratosphere. We are we are gearing up for the boyhood dream, don't you understand? Oh, those two words that you couldn't escape during these three months. Oh, my God. So this is it. We've tried. All, 1995 was the year of Kevin Nash. And as you said, they tried, much like George St. Pierre. And, uh, <laughs> no, sorry, it wasn't that wasn't my joke. It was, it was the, uh, the British guy that he laid on top of the entire fight. At least he tried. Um, all right, moving on for 20 year old jokes. Um, so yeah, th they've tried with Kevin Nash all year. It, it does not go well. So now, you know, who, as you said, Sean's been in the company almost a decade now. It's as good a time as any to give him a shot. Let's see if he can sell some tickets. Um, you know, Sean, the, the story you had on him in the upcoming year, I'm kind of skipping ahead here, but just to say this now, you know, like, well, you know, Sean cracked under the pressure is the narrative we hear. Sean, you know, Sean wasn't moving the needle. Sean wasn't selling the tickets. You're still digging. <laughs> like, like, I love the narrative of like, oh, Kevin couldn't draw. Sean couldn't draw. I mean, when you're starting, when you're, your starting points are 40 foot hole and you're still digging out of it, you cut the guy a, a break here. Well, anyway, and, and let's be fair to Kevin because we like I I actually mm -hmm. I I, I had I'm a morbidly curious person at times, and I have certain numbers to go mm -hmm. through with Nash's run, right? So we're finishing the narrative on Diesel because he loses the title to Brett. And sadly, what's his best match as as champion by far? I think is the match with Brett at Survivor Series, and unfortunately, it's his swan song because he loses the belt. Right. But you look at the three months Raw ratings preceding his title win from September to November '94. It's a two point seven. Mm -hmm. He wins the title at the end of November, and so we'll go with December of 94 through February of 95 and the build to WrestleMania. The show average is slightly down to a 2.63. And by the end of his reign, it's not much different. It's from an, uh, excuse me, September to November of 95 when Nitro launches. The show is down to – the show is slightly back up 0 0.01 to a 2.64 average. Okay. One thing he should get credit for is the live attendance average, which in 1994 was 2,880 people. In 1995, they bettered it to 3,039 people per live show. So he does technically raise live attendance. He does drop off in TV ratings, but let's be fair. The company creatively is at a low point where, again, we talked about his lack of challengers and lack of interesting personalities on the show at the time. And in the last three months of his reign, he's now seeing opposition from WCW at the same time and actually raises that needle a little bit comparatively to where it was during the build to WrestleMania. So the narrative of him being the lowest drawing champion, honestly, there's a guy who's going to draw lower than him that we're starting to talk about now. And there's plenty of guys who draw much less than him later on in this current year. CM Punk, ah, sorry. Um, yeah, right. so I think Kevin gets a bad rap that's historically very inaccurate. The Royal Rumble 1996 uh, sees Sean win again so that he can have his match against Brett at WrestleMania. 
He had he comes in at number 18. Um, he lasts 26 minutes, nine seconds, and he has eight eliminations. By contrast, yeah. Diesel is eliminated by Sean. Um, he is the tw- he is the 22nd entrant in, and I believe he is the last one to be eliminated. He lasts 17 minutes, 51 seconds. He has five eliminations. This is the sh- this is act one of the Sean show. Uh, in your house, rage in the cage. Uh, let's go. <laughs> This is about when I start getting back into wrestling again, just FYI. Before we go there, let's go to Brett's match on the same show, Royal Rumble 96, where he wrestles The Undertaker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I tried to forget that match. Yeah. Well, I try to forget every Undertaker match, but this is one of his better ones because he's working with Brett. This is the this is Phantom of the Opera uh, era. Uh, yes, after Mabel had, in, had actually crushed The Undertaker's face. Not just crippled Diesel, but crushed The Undertaker's face. What a track. Glass, glass half full, glass half empty. Um, but yeah, so in this match at one point, Taker has Brett seemingly beaten only Mm. for Diesel to come out and cost him the match at that point in time. Now we'll go a month later to rage in the cage where Bret Hart is your champion still. And now he's defending against Diesel, the man he took the title from. And Sean is putting up his number one contender spot at WrestleMania against Brett's brother Owen in a match on the undercard. All right. Now, this is the infamous one where, by the way, it's it's infamous for me in two reasons, and one of them I'm sure nobody cares about, but it, it always struck me as, as I just one of those things where it makes me hate wrestling. So you got to remember at the time, Smashing Pumpkins had a song out called Bullet with the Butterfly Wings, I believe, you know, and in the, the, the chorus is, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. I don't know if you're a big Smashing Pumpkins fan, Pat. I like the song just fine and all. But that's part of Brett's promo going into this. He's like, despite all your rage, Kevin Nash or Diesel, I'm still just a, you're still just a rat in a cage or some nonsense that he says. This was like, oh, God. Brett had his finger on the pulse, everybody. He was aware of those popular music acts at the time. He had a, I think the weirdest thing ever is I read a Calgary Sun column of his once and he quoted Alkaline Trio in it. And I was like, what? (laughs) Stop talking to your nieces and nephews. Come up with your own stuff. Anyway, uh, so yeah, the Undertaker, the Undertaker cuts them. The Undertaker. <laughs> I just emerges. started watching wrestling again during this. He comes up through the mat. Emerges through the mat to take vengeance upon Diesel, who again seemingly has the match won. So mm-hmm. you're really making your champion look strong heading into WrestleMania, right? Because in the past two main event months, he's been he's been the beneficiary of interference that has saved his title, mm. which. There's a lot of things you can say about Brett feeding his ego and making points in booking meetings about how he's being made to look weak, etc. Mm-hmm. You're making him look very, very weak leading into WrestleMania where he's yeah. in the main event to hype up this undercard bout between Diesel and, and Undertaker to get heat on that. But you're biting your nose to spite your face because now you're making it very clear between that and between the mm-hmm. MAGA push you're throwing Sean into – that this is a foregone conclusion that Sean's going to be the guy. Brett's just there to hand it off to him. And there's that meeting that Nash has talked about infamously where Brett was like, I don't like this finish. You're making me look weak and weak again. And Undertaker stands up and says, Mother Effer, this isn't about you. You know, if I remember correctly, Scott Hall's already at this point decided when his contract's up, he's gone. And I think very close to it. And I and I think that meeting that you're referencing is the one where Kevin Nash was still on the fence about it. And he'd gone to Vince and said, just match the deal. And Vince is like, we were not making money. So no, <laughs> you know, this we're, we're very close to that point. 
Um, and I think it's, but it's this incident with Brett where Kevin's like, I don't even care about the money so much anymore. I, I don't want to do this with this guy and I'm going to go make money elsewhere. That, that's, a, that's what Kevin has said. The, the mm -hmm. months in the narrative don't technically line up all the way, but again, mm -hmm. I wasn't living his life at that time. So he could right. very much remember it that way and believe it to be true. I'm not saying it's not, it's just the narrative in the months that line up. It's kind of, it's, it's not necessarily there linear. It's, it's certainly possible that that all happens and that informs his decision when he's afforded the opportunity to leave, to go ahead and do it. Like that's like, he, he isn't, he isn't thinking about leaving when that happens with Brett, then that happens. Then he meets with WCW and then it's like, that's still sticking in his craw, but you know, age makes fools of us all. And we misremember the, how things go, you know, five minutes ago, I was making a George St. Pierre joke. That wasn't about George St. Pierre. It happens. Um, anyway, moving on. So that brings us to uh, WrestleMania 12. All right. So a couple of notes on this show. The, the matches that I have here to talk about are you have Steve Austin, who um, who showed up a little earlier in the year and he was doing the um, he was doing the gimmick with Ted DiBiase. He was the ringmaster. Yeah, he was the ringmaster. This is about where things start to change for Steve Austin. Slowly but surely, we're going to we're going to get rid of the ringmaster gimmick and we're going to become Stone Cold between now and King of the Ring. Yeah, he's 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 under the name Stone Cold, but hasn't mm. really done anything to establish the persona. Yeah, uh, we have the return of the Ultimate Warrior. This is the beginning of his '96 run where he infamously squashes Hunter Hearst Helmsley, um, <laughs> and more on that in a moment. Uh, the Undertaker. So the other thing about this is is um, this is why I, Kevin Nash told the story, and now I remember why I went on this tangent. Kevin Nash's story is that when he goes to Vince and says, "Hey, just meet, just just meet the offer, and I'll stay," and Vince says he can't. Um, Vince says back to Kevin, I need you to do a couple of things for me. One of them is work with The Undertaker on the way out and put him over at WrestleMania. And that's what he does here. This is the also the infamous I'm not afraid of the dark thing, which made my dad like laugh so hard. He he snorted and <laughs> like like he, my dad has infamously always hated wrestling, but here but he was watching it with me that night for whatever the reasons were. I might have because I was taking up the den. And he's and he and he hears Kevin Nash walk out and goes, I ain't afraid of the dark. And my father just looks at me with the same look he gave me when he caught me watching the Dukes of Hazard one day. And he was like, I have no son. Um, <laughs> it's just the stupidest thing. Um, but yes, I'm not afraid of the dark, says Kevin. And then we have Shawn Michaels and the infamous and everyone knows the story now. But just to make a point, the infamous uh, hour plus Iron Man match with Bret Hart. Let's just talk about that for a moment. WrestleMania 12, because there's nothing else. I mean, you wanted to talk about Piper and um, Goldust and Ken. I don't particularly care. I know there was something about it you wanted to say in terms of culture. But uh, let's just talk about this match here, because yeah. this match is, in my opinion, the best match on the card. But a lot of people have complained that it was too many rest holds. It was... You know, half of it's them going at a full throttle. The other half of it, you know, they're they're sucking wind. It's not as good as people like to think it is. I don't know. I think all told, you know, good, bad, and indifferent. It's a nice story. What do you think? I think them billing it as it's going to go 60 minutes hurt it going into it. Because mm -hmm. you know no matter what, the match is there for an hour. It does stink, just not as much as 11, Rob. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Robert Winfrey I, with his witty witticisms. 
<laughs> I think I think it's a really good pace for about 40, 45 minutes. It's a really yeah. unbelievable pace for both guys to have set, and they deserve mm-hmm. credit for that. I do get the argument that it's not that great of a match because there is a distinct lack of selling for a lot of stuff throughout. Um, and, and again, very very much the match is tilted to Sean's favor in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, um, and it's not necessarily transparent on the commentary where they're really trying to establish Sean and still undercut Brett. Um, and it, it does degenerate kind of where a lot of the stuff is just done for the sake of being done and it doesn't play into the actual story of the match. So I, I get those arguments. It's still, to me, the best match on the card, um, mm-hmm. though that's not saying very much based on what you see on this card. In defense of Kevin Nash and Undertaker, they have probably the best match of either one of them's career within this two- to three-year period. No, I'm going to disagree heavily with that. No, you don't think so? I, I think I Kevin think Nash and Undertaker Kevin... put on against each other. Giving oh, you're talking the about Undertaker... them just, just solely working against each other? Well, here's the thing. Who else, up to this point, post-Hogan, pre-Kevin Nash, who is the Undertaker working with? Yoko, Gonzalez, King Kong Bundy. Who's Nash working with? We've just been over this. Yeah, Brett and Sean. <laughs> and Owen. <sighs> Let me amend my statement. It's the best match <laughs> the Undertaker has in this era. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. Because um, he sucks. So, hmm. um, And Kevin, I, I think Kevin gets lazy, but Kevin's underrated in some respects and what he actually can do with the right dance part. Right. Um, no, I think it's more correct of me now that I, I, I'm thinking back of what I just said. It is more correct of me to say it is The Undertaker's best match up to this point. Yeah, it, it, very fair. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's the best match on the show. I don't mm-hmm. think it's either guy's best match. I would probably say out of each guy's WrestleMania history, mm-hmm. it's on the lower tier of each of their respective WrestleMania matches, to be honest. Um more so Brett than Sean, because Sean's had to build his way up WrestleMania cards a little more than Brett has. Um, mm-hmm. Once Brett got into the solo status of things, his matches were generally in a higher tier, um, and with the exception of Backlund against you know better opposition. Um, once you know, once Sean got it there, it took him a little longer, but he also didn't immediately get the rise. He was working, you know, Tatanka, not a bad opponent, not a great opponent. Tito, kind of at the end of Tito's run, not a bad opponent, not a great opponent anymore. Uh, so Sean had a little bit tougher of a climb to that sense till he got to Razor and then kind of established himself as somebody who could be in the main events. It, it wasn't so much about the match as it was the build to make Chris and Sean as the, the new, new generation guy. Mm-hmm. And they did that. Um, the, the stuff with Brett made it seem a little more genuine where he, he didn't want to speak to anybody after the match. He was disappointed with the fact that they went an hour and then all of a sudden they threw an overtime at him. Right. It made sense in the narrative story, especially if you did want to have the build with the rematch that essentially never happens. Right. Um, it's supposed to happen at the following WrestleMania. And we'll get there, too. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not a great match to me. It's a great exhibition to show what both guys had in their tank. Yeah. And that's really the selling point that they're going to go with for Sean for the next few months is he's such a great conditioned athlete. And that's how he beats, you know, the guys he's going to face. It's yeah. he may not be the biggest guy, but he's he's in, he's in better shape than anybody. He's sure. so brave and, you know, whatever. He gets to run circles around Vader. All right. So I'm going to put this comment up and you're going to laugh and then you're going to and then you're going to talk about it. You have to talk about Piper and Goldie, if only because Vince actually wanted the freshly acquitted O.J. Simpson to actually be in the match. Yeah, that wouldn't have been taste, tasteless, tasteful at all. Tasteless. Would it been- would have been tasteless, yeah. They, that was the actual, The original plans were to have Scott Hall as Razor Ramon in a Miami street fight with Goldust. Mm-hmm. 
based on their earlier feuding over the Intercontinental title. Mm. And they wanted to do something that had their finger on the pop culture pulse. So they were going to get O.J. Simpson, who had been acquitted the prior, uh, I think it was during, I forget what point in time it was, but O.J. Simpson who had been acquitted for the murder of his wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her lover, Ron Goldman. Um, they eventually decided that that wouldn't be in the best of taste. Scott, <laughs> I I wonder. Scott Hall fails a drug test, mm-hmm. but they want some type of controversial element to happen. So they take Piper and Goldust and put them together in a last minute feud with Goldust making these sexual innuendos towards Piper and being this movie obsessed person and Piper being a legitimate movie star right. and a man's man type of you know character. And they decide to do a Hollywood backlot brawl with the purpose of showing footage of a certain chase with a white Bronco. (laughs) But what's interesting is this is kind of the first attempt at what we now know to be cinematic matches that they filmed, such as the Boneyard match, the the Wyatt family house of horrors match and things of that nature. Darby versus team Taz in a a warehouse. Talk about anything involving Darby Allen. Um, Yeah, but, you know, things where they film a portion of the match over a period of time to be aired later. And then what they did was they filmed the finish of the match in the actual arena, which they had to cover a lot of things like Piper had broken his wrist, punching Goldust in the head. So they had to cut the cast off and get him out there. Yeah, Piper actually got hit by a car in a take because they couldn't time it out right in the back. And Piper just hits the hood as hard as he can. And. Yeah, Piper break like Piper breaks his hand on Dustin's head. Dustin gets a concussion from everything, and it's really sloppy fun, mm-hmm. but it's very important in the history because now we're seeing cinematic matches, at least in the Thunderdome era, as a regular commodity. And this was kind of the beta test for all that. Yep. So that's WrestleMania 12 in a nutshell. Scott Hall by this point is gone, and we'll talk about him and his effect on the industry in just a moment and again our first babyface versus babyface wrestlemania since mm-hmm. warrior hogan does even less business than that yes well again we're still rebuilding be fair um we're gonna rebuild for another year as a matter of fact but more on that in a second so yeah Shawn michaels the boyhood the you know we are firmly into the boyhood dream era at this point um the next pay-per-view is uh is the goodbye match with kevin nash I love this match. Better enemies. I love this match. Yeah, this is in your house. Good friends, better enemies. Um, I love this match because this is the one where I think it's uh, Mad Dog Vashon who's in in the audience, and Kevin Nash pulls his leg off and beats Shawn Michaels with it. Uh, It's hilarious. Um, But yeah, Shawn Michaels eventually ends up beating Kevin Nash uh, for the WWF Championship in a no holds barred match. Um, The goodbye match between. Scott Hall, uh, Shawn Michaels. Oh, I really quick before we move on, I got I got to go back to WrestleMania 12 for a second just to bring this up because you know when they when they did the hit job on the Ultimate Warrior, one of the things that uh, that Helmsley talks about is, oh, I was going to do X Y Z with the Warrior, but he just wanted to come out and squash me. Can I go ahead and say no one gave a crap about the tri- Triple H? Everyone wanted to see the Ultimate Warrior run him over. No, yeah. you know he t- he he acts like like oh my god this guy didn't want to do the work nobody wanted to see the ultimate warrior work they wanted to see him tear him in half that was the end of that that was, Please that was the whole shut thing. up hunter 
Yeah, like the the warrior coming back was one of the big selling points of WrestleMania 12 because it's a legitimate star of the past who's going to come back and right. you know maybe try to liven things up. Triple H at this point in time is a mid card heel. Right. He's eventually going to position positioned a little higher in in how things stand, but there's not a huge plan for him that's gone into place at this point. The right. plan is for him to eventually win King of the Ring, but that's not anywhere near visible on TV at this point. And you're bringing back a legitimate former world champion megastar at the top of the card. He's there to put the Ultimate Warrior over. He's there to take the beating from you're the You're there Ultimate to Warrior. reestablish the Warrior to the new right. audience. How do you do that? You don't have a competitive back-and-forth right. match with all this stuff and expose him for a guy who can't work. You get three clotheslines and a shoulder tackle, a gorilla press, and a splash, and you go home. Right. Yeah, I, I've... I, I know I have I am like the Ultimate Warrior's personal publicity agent on this network, but I, that really always among I, I can live with a lot of what gets said about the Ultimate Warrior, him like hurting people and seemingly not caring, him being this and that. I have that ha that comment from from Triple H has never sat well with me. Like how you can revise history so badly to suit your own ego and think anyone should be taking you seriously is beyond me. And it was um, in that moment that a grand plan was hatched. <laughs> yeah right so um next is the curtain call we all know what happens triple h sean michaels kevin nash and scott hall are all in the cage in madison square garden they all take a final bow and they hug each other a guy uh ejaculates in his pants that to be heard for decades on end and um kevin nash then leaves scott hall then leaves uh sean michaels is champion and, tri and triple h by the way they always say like, oh, and then they put Triple H in the hog pen matches. The hog pen matches was like the year before that, if I remember they, correctly. Yeah, they, like they 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 didn't do anything specifically terrible to him. He just no. didn't get the push he was going to get. He didn't get to win King of the Ring. Yet. That was it. He didn't get he didn't get to win King of the Ring. That was his yeah. Good and instead, they created the biggest star in the history of the business since Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I I feel I, I do not feel bad for Triple H in any way, shape, or form. Like, no, again, he, he, again, WrestleMania 12, a grand plan was hatched mm -hmm. that we saw unfold over the years. Yeah. Um, but the uh, I just I just want to make a point of fact. Like, I, I don't have the dates in front of me, but I do remember the hog pen matches being the year before. Yeah, that, was, know, that, and, was, and, that was when Henry Godwin had turned face, if I'm not mistaken. Right. That was late 95. Right. And but he always says, like, oh, you know, I did the I, I got the blame for the curtain call and I was doing hog pen matches. I said, no, no, you weren't. You did, a, you did a job to Jake the Snake Roberts on TV. Oh, right. no. Horrible. And you didn't get to do King of the Ring. Oh, God. And then you get it a year later. Oh, and by the way, you're also in a blood feud with Cactus Jack. Oh, and by the way, you're the Intercontinental Champion. Oh, and by the way, you're the Intercontinental Champion feuding with The Rock. <laughs> like, oh, just, woe is me. Yeah. You know, they're, they're so punished. Anyway, moving on. Um, that they didn't give him a red mohawk and make him crow, did they? <laughs> Speaking of uh, red mohawks and crowing, Savio Vega, beware of dog. Uh, this is the May pay-per-view. Which, by the way, the end of Good Friends, Better Enemies, if I remember correctly, is, is Davey Boy mushmouth running past the camera going, he touched my wife, he touched my wife. And everyone going, wait, what? And that leads us to beware of dog. Um, pay-per-view so bad they had to do it twice due to Mother Nature creating power outage. <laughs> a pay-per-view so bad God struck it down with fire and lightning. And hey, and take a drink, everybody. Shawn Michaels throws an in-ring hissy fit in this one too. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so, but the only matches of note here are again: Savio Fega defeats Stone Cold Steve Austin in a Caribbean Strap match, which was actually wasn't a bad match, and then Shawn Michaels defeats the British Bulldog um, in a no. Sorry. Uh, 
it ends in a no contest. <laughs> Good strong start for Shawn Michaels' title reign. Yeah, um, they, have, they have the German suplex spot where both guys are pinned and both shoulders set the shoulders down. Each referee counts them down. Uh, what's mm-hmm. notable is during the power flickering instance where they're trying to figure out what's going on, Davey grabs a chin lock on Sean, as you do, just until you can figure out. And Sean, instead of just going with it, starts doing – literally throwing <laughs> his hands up with a bored yeah. face, not selling the chin lock. This is Sean, and this is what we're going to get from him for the next two years. I want to take a minute to remind everybody that we all need a soundtrack in our life. Uh, I like to listen to a little heavy metal here. Pat Pat loves himself some Kiss, you know, some of the uh, the eighties rock and roll, and it's all there for you on AmazonMusic.com. And it just so happens, Pat, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are giving away a free thirty day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. I must have forgotten about that when I was assaulted by nine thugs in Syracuse, New York, before I won the Royal Rumble. Oh wait, that was Sean, not me. Nine thugs or nine ballerinas, because I've heard two different stories. Anyway. No, it was the Marine who kicked his ass. If you like ballet or Marine music, trying to transition now out of that. Let's play uh, Marine Corps Battle Hymn. You can play that. That's true. That's right there for you among 70 zillion other songs on Amazon Music. Uh, So, yes, a free 30-day trial on us if you click the link in the description of this podcast. And really, why wouldn't you? Get AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network for the free 30-day trial. You like it, you keep it, you pay the monthly fee. You don't, you cancel it. No fuss, no muss, no problems, no pains in the butt. It's uh, it's a great service. We use it all the time on the Metal Hammer of Doom. All right, now we can pause of Montezuma to the spaceships of Bezos. All right. Speaking of music, odd choice to include porno music for your uh, for your wrestlers, but hey, that's what WCW did. Scott Hall appears in on uh, Nitro, just coming through the ring and interrupting a match, and everyone just kind of stops and lets them do it. Um, on May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety six, and this is the unofficial official start of the nwo invasion uh you started a war we gonna finish it chico um and and i and and you have to talk about this because and and you and i talked about this kind of offline as we were preparing the show uh how much you know because sean gets ridiculed for not being able to carry the ball and you know look it doesn't help that he's having hissy fits it doesn't help that he's not having you know there aren't great stories and he's not having great matches but maybe maybe it's different for him if he's not having to compete with what becomes starting in May, the hottest thing in wrestling going like whatever Sean thought was going to happen in, in 1996. And however thought, however much attention he thought he was going to receive immediately, the rug gets taken out from under him by Scott Hall's appearance on nitro. And it just never gets any better. It doesn't. And he certainly doesn't help himself with that to be fair. Um, and how he acts professionally on screen and off screen doesn't help much either. But, no. you know, I, I like you and I both grew up in New York or the outskirts of the city where it was mm-hmm. very heavily WWF leaning territory. Mm-hmm. During the rise of the NWO through the next year, year and a half, most of the people I knew who grew up watching WWF superstars transitioning to Raw when it happened, we all started looking at Nitro as the preferable show because it was just so much better because there was so yeah. much more stuff going on that mattered and was better put together. Right. And, you know, for me at the time, I was very much a, a huge Bret Hart fan at the time. Bret's not on TV. He's not there to be right. found. Your alternative is Sean. And there's a very big contrast in the personalities and how they're represented. Sean was a guy who, especially as the baby face, I never cared for and never bought into. Right. Sean was so, best when he when you when you had a reason to hate him. You wanted to see other people kick his ass. 
as this as this cleaned up white meat baby face character, he, the only thing left to buy into is that he's he's the David versus the Goliath. But even then, what Goliaths? They had one Goliath. They, they had, had Vader. One. And nobody nobody bought Sean going over him that mm-hmm. I knew. We were all kind of like, eh, this is kind of silly. But like, even really- that one, I mean, you've heard Cornette talk about how we haven't gotten there yet, but we will in a moment. You know, the, the, the Sean Vader match was supposed to lead to so much more, but Sean couldn't keep his crap together. That and it was an overbooked mess and, and a lot of things mm-hmm. going on with that. Yeah. But um, but again, you look at that and you look at what the alternative is, where essentially you're seeing Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, Razor and Diesel. They eventually allied themselves with Hulk Hogan, who for years has been this tried and true, take your vitamins, say your prayers, good guy. Flips that script directly on its ass, and I did it all for the money, and you idiots bought into it, and now I get to be me. I get to be me, Hollywood Hogan. And you have this unit that seemingly every week is picking up somebody or causing some kind of chaos. It was must-see television. They they produced must-see television that to this day, you know, AEW gets a little bit, but... Like the WWE hasn't created a must see TV, yeah. like to where you're left hanging at the end of the show going, I don't, you know, I remember the longest part of the week for me was always the, the moment Nitro ended. I couldn't wait to see what the next Nitro was because you, you never knew who was going to show up. You never knew. I mean, just, just the night, and I think it's Panama City when this happened, the night they, oh. that, that Kevin Nash, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Spear. Lawn darted Rey Mysterio. Lawn darted, yeah. Lawn darted Rey Mysterio. Yeah. Like you never knew. <laughs> Sorry, I think it was like Dennis Leary who made the joke about we watched JFK and RFK get shot on television. We never knew what was going to happen next. That's how it felt. You never knew what was going to happen on Nitro and on there Raw. Was not until '97 did it get in, did it get like that. There were continual consequential events mm-hmm. from week to week that right. bled into the next week's show. Raw, you might have a three-match show where your main event, say, uh, say Sean was involved, right? It would be Sean mm-hmm. versus like Marty Jannetty, right? Had nothing to do with next week's show where Jake Roberts was wrestling Mankind. Well, look at the story. Okay, so the story they're telling on Nitro, and we we do have to move on after this, but I think it's important to establish like the contrast. So on Nitro, old WWF guys are beating the living heck out of the Nitro locker room day in and day out, and you never know which WWE guy is coming over next, and they're beating these people with bats on a weekly basis. Sting has gone into a depression and left us. You know, it's like, it's pandelirium. We thought we'd be killed, or even worse, and that's the Nitro story. What's happening on Raw? Sean may or may not have slept with British Bulldog's wife. He He's in more of a feud with Jim Cornette than he is with Vader, and then we're into, you know, him giving the title to Sid. That was Sean's title reign. And there's still silly gimmicks abounding on the WWF mm-hmm. TV versus, you know, WCW's vision at the time. You still had a silly gimmick here or there, but they were largely mm-hmm. being phased out week to week was by Eric Bischoff. Was the year of, of, of Austin and Brian Pillman and the Pillman got a gun incident? Yes. Okay, because that's the one thing in 96 that stands out. Well, and I was going to say, the one the realistic part of 96 gets mm-hmm. happening later in the year. Right. But aside from, you know, Pillman's got a gun earlier in that year, which I think was like April 96, there's not a lot of heavily realistic things going on. In the, and when they try it, it's, the, well, it, you know, it can't be April. It has to be after June. It has to be the, between the summer and like September because Steve Austin has to win King of the Ring, which we need to talk about next. N- no, I think it. I think it's actually. I think it's. I think it's spring of ninety six. 
Maybe I thought it was after, but, but even then, that's the only okay. semi-realistic consequential thing they're putting on WWF right. TV at the time. Versus, you have these this gang warfare of thugs who are jumping right. guys, and even the other stuff they did. They did a segment on a Nitro in October, building to Halloween Havoc with Randy Savage and Elizabeth, who everybody kind mm-hmm. of acknowledged. Yeah, they're divorced in real life. Elizabeth does this heartfelt plea about feeling bad for Randy, and she, she's sorry for everything she's done right before this big match. And Macho just starts crying and walks away and doesn't want to be talked to. And right. it's like, oof, that felt a little close to home. That's a little uncomfortable, but it felt very real versus Duke the Dumpster Drosy trying to uh, unseat, you know, uh, Dr. Isaac Yankum on the other channel. Like, re- really? This is what we're trying to compete with? So we're all over the place. Let's let's go back to King of the Ring 96. We're, we all know what happens at King of the Ring 96. We talked about how Steve Austin got the Triple H push and he – wins the King of the Ring in a final match against Jake Roberts, and this is where he does the awesome 316. This is what's been cited as the be- the end of the new generation and the beginning of the Attitude Era, is King of the Ring 1996. On that same show, Sean defeats the British Bulldog uh, with um, Mr. Perfect, Pat Mullen's favorite wrestler, as the special outside enforcer. Uh, July of that year is where we have the Big Bash the Beach incident, where Hogan uh, joins... Uh, forms the NWO with Hall and Nash, and we are off to the races. And the rating swing and buy rate swing in yep. this time is huge towards WCW. Right. International Incident uh, is known for the one where the Ultimate Warrior's dad died for a second time, or whatever the situation was, but he's gone. He's not in this match. He's supposed to be, but he's not. So it's, Kim, it's Camp Cornetta, Vader, Owen Hart, and British Bulldog, and this is the build towards SummerSlam. Uh, with against uh, Shawn Michaels, Sid stepping in, stepping out of the baseball field and into the match, ste- uh, filling in for the Ultimate Warrior and Ahmed Johnson, who wasn't hurting everyone Great, at this moogly, point, moogly. Getting, <laughs> wasn't hurting everyone at this point. Gosh, I wish Ahmed Johnson was a better worker and because he had such a great look to him, but uh, he did, yeah, his 85 knee pads really sold me. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, that gets us to the 90s to the uh SummerSlam 96. Steve Austin defeats Yokozuna, and the only reason why I have it in my notes is because we are seeing the rise of Steve Austin here. Uh, Sid defeats the Bulldog, Sean defeats Vader. You want to just talk really, really, really quickly about what happened with Sean and Vader for the people who may not have heard the 97,000 times Cornette has explained this. So, one, Sean didn't like that Vader was so rough and stiff with him. Threatened to have him fired because of his because of his stiff punches and pulling Sean by the hair and accidentally pulling his hair out. Two, Vader forgot a spot in the match where instead of just covering for it and moving on like a professional would, Sean instead threw a hissy fit yelling at Vader, move, and stomping him in the head and yelling, move, and stomping him again in front of – exposing everything to the audience essentially right. because Sean's just an unprofessional prick at the time. Um, and at that point, Sean <laughs> says – Yeah. <laughs> At that point, Sean buries Vader to the office and, you know, threatens to have him fired again. And mm-hmm. it's just a whole debacle where you take their biggest, most viable heel at the time. And they essentially just, yeah, Leon, we're not going to do this now. Sorry. Yep. You know, and people are like, oh, low drawing champions, bad time. You know, it doesn't help that the, the office has the worst case of perpetual cold feet I've seen. And it's been going on for years because we've talked about this on other shows, too. Every yeah, time but, we start to go a little someplace, they go, ah, people, and put the title back on Brett. But you know what? They, they com- yeah, they committed to Sean pretty heavy here. Like, they really tried they've to. got to commit to the bad guys, too, and they don't. They, they shouldn't have given up on Vader, and Sean shouldn't have had that much control over the time. 
they shouldn't have given up on Vader. I agree. But again, when you're listening to your top guy at this point, they're they're going to do that and they're going to cater to him. This is what happens. And this yep. isn't even totally a click situation. At this point, there is no click. Sean and Hunter are the only guys there left from that group. Right. But Sean is still – they still believe so firmly in Sean for whatever reason because it ain't the numbers he's putting in the seats. It ain't the numbers he's putting on TV and it ain't the numbers he's putting on pay-per-view. They, uh, there's been nobody who's been able to understand the whole Sean had over Vince at this point in time, but he does. But his numbers are terrible comparatively even to Kevin Nash the year prior. Right. And numbers don't pick up again until Survivor Series time. Again, they're We're... not telling interesting stories with Sean. They're not telling. Like, I watched this era pretty pretty steadily. I was really into wrestling at this point. And I remember there wasn't. I watched it because I wanted to see what was happening in the world of wrestling. So I watched both. But if you would ask me if I could only pick one program to watch in 1996, it was Nitro. Yeah, I agree. The most compelling story they were telling on Raw is Bret Hart making his return at this point in time mm-hmm. to wrestle Steve Austin. Right. Who's rapidly become yeah. this star and is calling him out. And Brett comes out and does a promo saying, yeah, I believe Steve Austin is the best World Wrestling Federation superstar right now other than me. And I'm going to come back and prove it. What's with the pink tights, Brett? Yeah. I like <laughs> I like the you put an S in front of Hitman and that's what I think of Brett line. Um, I want to be clear. Yes, Nitro is the better show, but the best stuff happening on Raw isn't anything to do with Shawn Michaels. All of it has to do with Steve Austin. And that's not me being like a Steve Austin mark. A legit, I mean, between Pillman's Got a Gun, the Bret Hart, pro, the anti-Bret Hart promos that Steve Austin was doing. I mean, and, and look at what we're going to get as, as 96 turns into 97. He's the most compelling character on the show. And what happens to Steve, you know, go, from 98 on bears that out because it wouldn't have happened otherwise. No. All right, let's move on. Um, so um, in what is possibly Sean's best match of this year, uh, we go we go into Philadelphia, ECW territory, which is this whole very uh, mind games pay-per-view was like the big theme of this was over oh, in ECW territory. And ECW is kind of like the hottest thing nobody knows about at the time. Anyway, Sean Michaels takes on Mankind and hey, we got another disqualification win because that's what puts the butts in seats. Up till that point, though, it was the probably the best match Sean's whole year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Sean gets the night off uh, the following month at Buried Alive, which is where they do the Friday the 13th ending. And yet again, the man is beset by the entire locker room and literally Buried Alive. Even though Mankind actually lost the match, uh, it's the Undertaker that has to take the dirt nap. Yay. Wish it would have been permanent. Uh, Other things that happened on that show, Steve Austin beats Triple H, because really, who isn't at this time? So Sid defeats Vader going into the Survivor no, again, series, which is where we go. He's he's being punished, but meanwhile, he's being positioned to be put in an angle to become Intercontinental Champion with yep. Mr. Perfect as his, as his manager. So now we get to the 1996 Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden. I was there for this. This is the debut of The Rock, which at this time, kind of who cares, but you know, it's nice to note historically. Uh, so Bret Hart and Steve Austin have a fantastic, one of the best matches of this year. I, I everyone like everyone's gonna say that the 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 WrestleMania 13 match is is amazing. I'm like it's almost yeah. you know not to be outdone by their Survivor Series match with a fantastic ending. Just Bret Hart and Steve Austin are the stars of that year's Survivor Series. But you know who the star of that year's Survivor Series is Jose Lothario. <laughs> but then you have also Psycho Sid defeating Shawn Michaels, which was hilarious because I was in the crowd for that and you know Sid's how many the, people there were cheering for Sid, Mark? Everybody. 
everybody was cheering for Sid. That's a rough night at the office for Shawn Michaels. Did you happen to see a certain look on Shawn's face multiple times throughout? Yes, single tear. Yeah. <laughs> he was not happy. He um, was we... such a little entitled jerk off. He but really tell you, was. I, I, being one of those people, we all hated Shawn Michaels. But again, what did they give us between... Be, First of all, it's New York, where not no one's buying into the boyhood dream. The hell with your boy, your boyhood dream. Your boyhood dream, S is my D. Um, <laughs> really trying to clean my language up. Uh, but well, meanwhile, we're all cheering the guy in pink tights. <laughs> he was a he was a better man than Shawn Michaels was. Um, but yeah, like everyone just wanted to see Sid mop the floor with Shawn, and Shawn was not thrilled. Anyway, uh, that gets us to what was supposed to be Vader versus Ford, Brett, but ended up being Sid. Um, it's time, because it was Vader time. Get it? <sighs> um, during the main event, Sean provides guest commentary during the match between Sid and Brett. At one point, Steve Austin runs to the ring and attacks Brett, causing both Owen and British Bulldog to come to Brett's aid. The match was halted while Austin, Austin Owen, and the Bulldog were ejected from the arena. During the match, Hart and Michael exchanged words, which drew Shawn Michaels away from the commentator's desk upon the ring apron. Moments later, Bret Hart collided with Michaels, allowing Sid to win the match. Following the match, he attacked Shawn and, and um, uh, the, following the match, Hart attacked Shawn in anger. And this is supposed to lead up to WrestleMania, the big rematch between Shawn and Bret for the title. But before there, we have we have the arena that needs a match, as Bruce Pritchard would say, the Alamo Dome. Uh, home of you know San Antonio, home of Shawn Michaels, and so he was will... the most heavily papered house in history. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. So Shawn Michaels takes on Cycle Sid and he gets his title back in his hometown. You know, in in the big Alamo Dome. Hooray! Meanwhile, in the Royal Rumble, you have Steve Austin who enters at number nine, and he wins the thing through nefarious means, lasting forty five minutes and seven seconds with ten eliminations. It's the big Diesel push, which he was wasn't known. supposed to get. Uh, Bret Hart comes in at number 21. Uh, he is the last one eliminated by Steve Austin. He lasts 21 seconds and 21 minutes and 12 seconds. He has two eliminations. Yeah. Vader came in at 28. Um, he was eliminated 26 by Steve Austin. He lasted 10 minutes and six seconds, and he only had one elimination. And finally, we have The Undertaker, who came in dead last and was eliminated at the 27th spot. So it goes Vader, Undertaker, Bret Hart. Um, and that's what leads to the next pay-per-view, the final four. Now, this gets a little screwy, but bear with me here. Wait, I gotta find something. To, hang on, I, something that's near and dear to me, and I don't, I don't. Mark, have you seen my smile? I believe you left it in your other pants. That's right. So, depending on whose story you believe, Sean is injured. So injured. How injured was he? He's so injured that he has to vacate the title. And even though. They are proposing him a number of solutions to make it interesting for the audience. He says, what if I just hand you the title and run off into the periwinkles? And Vince McMahon, of course, lets him do it because Vince McMahon is in love with Shawn Michaels. Anyway, and that's the infamous I lost my smile speech. Now, Shawn has said they didn't. He went to a doctor. The, doc said, the doctor said you can't wrestle anymore. But it's not like the wrestling doctor that they've all gone to. The guy from Alabama. So different doctors, different opinions, and had life gone differently, maybe he would have stayed. Who in the hell knows? That's one story. The a whole other story is that's BS. He was never really injured. He just didn't want to. He didn't want a job to Bret Hart. 
Yeah, that's that's and that's the story we call the truth. Um, <laughs> because literally a, a month after this supposed career-ending mm-hmm. injury, he makes a return on Raw and he's doing backflips off the top row yeah. onto said destroyed knee. So um, he he vacates the title. It goes up for grabs in the final four uh, because we had a screwy Royal Rumble. Royal but this Rumble is anyway. also part of the problem with the mm-hmm. WWF trying to dig itself out of its hole is they're catering to a guy who refuses to do business to better the company and get them right. into a higher standing. Now, instead of having somebody, again, who you've established beating this guy who you've spent the past year doing nothing but build, no, we're just going to have a vacant title and these guys are going to have to fight for it. Yep. But don't get me wrong. I, I actually like the Final Four pay-per-view. It was it's a great my, match. Yeah, it's an awesome match. I really, really enjoyed it. I like the whole concept of it. Um, it just it just it, it, it should not have happened. Is right. The problem. And- there's and again part of we're, we're we, we skip the part where basically they're trying to make you wcw is doing the angle with the nwo as a legitimate gang of thugs who are coming mm-hmm. in and beating your guys up what the wwf is shifting towards in their reality base largely based on the success of the steve austin stuff they're trying to make you believe in work shoots basically at this point and one of the ones they do is bret hart quitting on raw after perceived injustices towards him, where whether it's Shawn Michaels interfering in his match to cost him the title against Sid, Steve Austin illegally entering the Rumble and throwing him out to cost him that opportunity, he's had it up to here with nothing being done, and he's going to quit. Then Gorilla Monsoon says, hold it. I'm going to give you a spot in this Final Four match. You know, And if you win, you'll get the title shot at WrestleMania. Okay, and that's how we're going to build the Brett versus Shawn. All of a sudden, Shawn's knee has an ache in pain, and he can't take an aspirin, and he has to give up the belt. Now we're going to have, okay, well, the winner of the Final Four is champion. And you're going to go to WrestleMania and do whatever. So the short, short version of the, what happens next is Brett wrestles Sid. Shenanigans. Sid ends up becoming the champion. And we have Brett versus Steve Austin with Ken Shamrock as a special guest referee in a submission match. And then The Undertaker versus Sid in the main event of WrestleMania 13. Heat. We get to this point in the build to this on St. Patrick's Day of 97, we get the highest rated Raw segment they've had in years, which is a steel cage match between Bret Hart and Sid for the championship, where if Bret Hart wins, Steve Austin versus Bret Hart is now a championship match and Undertaker versus Sid is not. Is this the night that that uh, Brett shoves Vince to the ground? Yes. And are we? And at this point, have we shifted now into the two-hour Raw where the first hour is Raw and the other half is Warzone? Uh, I believe it's now just it's two hours, but it hasn't gotten the separate names yet. But mm-hmm. we're building to that, and this yeah. is largely a part of it. But this is kind of where you see attitude in full swing. Yeah, where we get a profanity-laden promo from Brett about so much goddamn injustice. I got you turning a blind eye to it. I get that Gorilla Monsoon turns a blind eye to it. And one of my favorite promos ever for its, you know, reusability this factor. The, this is the beginning of like peak Brett. It only took him twenty years, but we finally got there. Yeah, but again, like if you're watching as, you know, I am and I'm in, you know, like the fourth or fifth grade at this point in time, and I've been a, a very loyal Bret Hart supporter for a long time. Hang on, you're in the fourth or fifth grade. This is 1997. Yeah. I'm in college. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost so graduating college. We're, given, we're given some fantastically di- dichotomic perspectives here. Well, but that's but that's hilarious because I'm gripped by what's happening and I'm about to graduate college. You're gripped by what's happening. You're in elementary school. It's the attitude era. The attitude era. <laughs> so, but again, now you've got this Brett, Brett's constantly like at this mm-hmm. point, I'm getting screwed here. I'm getting screwed here. 
And there's logic in the the mentality behind it. Right. But then you have a guy like Steve Austin coming out and being a wise ass and just being like, oh, stop crying. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of people getting behind that. Yeah, you got screwed. Move on. Do it. Deal with it. Like right. everybody, everybody gets screwed. Like you, what makes you special that you don't deserve this yep. type of thing. And then you got Sid coming out during the segment saying, I don't know shit, cry baby, and my favorite Sid line ever. <laughs> and you've got all these very real elements building, and then you have The Undertaker for some reason. I, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Him and his stupid little teardrop makeup he had like he killed somebody in jail. All right. So that gets us to WrestleMania 13 and then the glorious conclusion of this podcast. So uh, this takes place on March 23rd, 1997 from the Rosemont uh, Horizon in Chicago, Illinois. We have an attendance of a little less than 20,000. So we're doing better. We're not quite at the Hoosier Dome numbers from a few no, years ago. But, but this buy rate is real bad. Yeah, this is not a yeah, this more there were people at the show, but not a lot of people bought the show. I always want oh. to know. I like this show. You know what this is, though? This is the point where Raw is becoming gripping television, mm. but nobody's really ready to invest in it yet until they see where it's supposed to go. And I think most people at this point in time are aware that WrestleMania kicks off everything that's going to start happening. Yeah. Because we'll see the numbers through the year of 97 in terms of pay-per-view revenue and Raw ratings go up, 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 up. I know like this is this is not high on people's head. I like this show. Uh, I, I mean, it might be rose-colored glasses, I'm sure. If you're I'm sure it is. <laughs> Look, this is not known for its work rate. I just remember watching this at home and having fun with this. There's a lot of stuff. Here's the thing. The wrestling may not be that great, but there's a lot of stuff happening on this show that is consequential for the following years. Um, not the least of which is Billy Gunn. <laughs> Is he still? I don't know if he's still doing rockabilly at this point, but he takes I on believe Flash he's Funk. still rockabilly right now. Yeah, so it's Flash Funk versus rockabilly in your in your free for all match. Um, I next, love Flash uh, Funk though. I love Two Cold Scorpio. Sure. Uh, then you've got the Headbangers versus Furnace and Lafon versus the Godwins versus the Blackjacks in a four way elimination match. For, to, uh, if that just doesn't sound like 1997 WWF, I don't know what does. I got a kick out of the Headbangers when I, you know, back then, you know, but I was also really into like heavy metal and punk, so whatever. Um, and then we have The Rock, who they're still trying to push as a white meat baby face, and he, he's taking on Fatu, who is dressed as an Arab. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's really what it is, though. It might be the worst match on the card, by the way. It's not good. Um, no, I know it's not. I don't remember how much before this China showed up, but we have this match is the worst match on the card. Uh, we have Triple H with China versus Goldust and Marlena, and I think this is the one where China almost kills Marlena with the the bear hug ragdoll. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're almost like but good lord. That. This match <laughs> felt like it was never going to end. I hate this match with such a passion, and I'm a huge fan of Goldust. Mm -hmm. I, I think Triple H is still in the mode of getting to his best work, but. I hated this match. It felt like it took forever. Well, I, I think I, I think because I thought it, because of I all I remember about it is this China and Marlena. It it sort of pushes the whole match out of my mind. But like the like I said, like there's nothing about the Rock versus the Sultan match that's good. Nothing at all. At least Triple H versus Goldust has China almost murdering Marlena. So take that for what it's worth. Um, the fifth match is Owen and the Bulldog versus Mankind Invader. It goes Heatless. to a double countout. Heatless. You had a heel versus heel match. Yeah. It, it was heatless. There was no build or anything really to this. And, it you know, you have four very capable guys, but without mm -hmm. any context, it just felt like just another match, not a WrestleMania match. Yeah. Um, 
in what is basically the, like the spiritual main event of this entire show and the the one match this this pay-per-view is known for it's Bret Hart and Steve Austin and the infamous blood runs cold <laughs> no disqualification submission match with Ken Shamrock um it's it's four stars it's fantastic it's good. perfect ending perfect uh performance by Ken Shamrock uh Bret you know it's the infamous double turn it's drama it's work it's blood it, I mean, if every other match had not actually happened and this was a 22-minute pay-per-view, everyone would have gone home happy. It's yeah, that good. I don't think anybody would have complained. I, You know, you brought up the brilliance of the Survivor Series match and going into mm -hmm. this. I I love both matches because they're both yeah. excellent. I do rate the Survivor Series match a little bit higher than I rate this one. That's just me, personal preference type thing. There's nothing wrong with which one, however one you prefer. This match highlights both guys so well in terms of what they can do. And the star potential that Steve had is really pushed into the moon in this one because both guys work so hard and so well to get that ending together where it really made you appreciate and respect Stone Cold as a character where he didn't quit. He didn't give up. They stopped the match, but the guy was so damn tough. He was never going to give up. Yep. And Brett, who got, you know, long awaited vengeance to a certain extent upon steve but now he's going to go over it now he's going to still try to attack him after the match for shamrock to get physical and then you have that intriguing factor of ooh, stockholm syndrome <laughs> <laughs> oh you're so funny robert winfrey and hey a little double dose of robert winfrey here yeah and yeah like i said i i would also give five stars to this one but um you know you underscore that so well you underscore the subtle T of Brett just having enough and now screw everybody. I'm going to do what mm -hmm. I want to do. I'm going to hurt this guy, which is not what the upstanding baby face would do. Right. And now we're also getting out of the mode of coloring people in black hat, white hat. Now there's all these shades of gray for these characters, which is more, much more compelling television. Yeah. And you're seeing things for what they are through this. And it's, it's excellent from start to finish. It's so nuanced in the build. It's so nuanced in the storytelling. It's so nuanced in the match. And again, like you said, Ken Shamrock, excellent job in terms of what he was doing after the match, where even there was the chance he and he put his fists up, there was going to get physicality with him and Brett, which could have led to something intriguing down the line if you know things had turned out differently. Uh, but, so so much potential left on the table with Ken Shamrock in those years, and with Brett for that matter, which we'll get to later too. Yeah. But um, you know, the, the opening the door of more to come was there. And that was yeah. almost the best part of this is that they, even though they closed so strong, they still tied you into what you wanted to see happen after the fact. Yeah. All right. Um, what I didn't want to see after the fact, go on. See, I, the, the, they have this listed as number seven, but I thought this, this actually kicked off the show, which was no. uh, the, the, uh, the, the six man street fight, which is, we talked about it before. So Ahmed Johnson comes out with the pads on with the, with the, the road warriors and they take on the nation of domination. I had a t-shirt back. If anyone wants to find the nation of domination t-shirt and send the by it any me, means necessary one. I love that shirt. I used to wear it constantly. Um, I'm sure that's <laughs> no, no surprise to anyone that knows me. Um, but yeah, I, I need a nation of domination t-shirt again. Anyway, uh, so it was the sixth man. This is the one where, yeah, when the Nation of Domination comes out and they've got all these weapons, they've got crowbars, they've got chains, they've got they've got all kinds of paraphernalia and unseen burlicos. And then Ahmed Johnson walks out with a sink, a kitchen sink. Hilarious. Um, who knows how the hell this, this this was just a fun, colorful, jingling keys, hit you over the head with a chair match. It was fun for the whole family. Uh, 10 minutes and 46 seconds. And finally, we get to... The no disqualification championship match between The Undertaker and Psycho said, 
Oof. And hey, less than a month after a, a supposed career-ending knee injury, who comes out and is dancing on the commentary table just fine and talking? Mm. And yeah, so I'm like, I'll give you guys a hint. So yeah, Undertaker Sid. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. It's not memorable it's... either. You know what's memorable? Sid shits his pants during the match. Is it really? I didn't know that. Sid had a little accident during the match. Okay. Well, at least he didn't break his leg. No, that's a different kind of accident. Nor did he stab the Undertaker with scissors. That was an accident. <laughs> 37 what, times. What are you, his lawyer? Um, all I right. like Sid, so shoot me. And that, folks, is the mania of WrestleMania 11, 12, and 13. Um, the, what the, the most interesting stuff is going to come next. It's going to, you know, 97 into 97 into 98 from WrestleMania 13 to WrestleMania 14 is probably the most interesting time in this era. Um, for both okay. companies to be Hang fair, on. Honestly. Robert wants to weigh in on whatever it was we just made a joke about. No, Sid pooped himself. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, I do not want to belabor the poop statement. Anyway, um, the mo I think like the most because here's the thing: we're going to talk about WrestleMania 14, 15, and 16 on our next show, which is dated for uh, January 27th. Um, we're, we're hopefully going to have Stuart, uh, old 411 writer. Lang. Yeah, we're hopefully going to have Stuart on the show. We'll hopefully have Chris Bailey back. Um, that's going to be like a nine-hour show because it's four people talking about three pay-per-views. But, um. This is the Attitude Era in earnest, 14, 15, and 16, or WrestleMania 2000. But like I said, like the stuff that happens from 14 to 15 is it's 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 the WWF kicking out of the yeah. beating it was taking from well, thir 13 to 14. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, no, even I mean 14 to 15. Um, 14 to 15 is 98 into 99. 14 to 15 is not just kicking out. 14 to 15 is hulking up. Yeah. Fine, however you want to describe it. The point, <laughs> the point is, the, the plane has come out of the nosedive at this point, and we are we are get, breaking into the atmosphere. Um, but it's not as interesting to talk about. It, it's, it's interesting no. to acknowledge because now the Rocky music is playing, and you know, and, and, and the guy's coming back from a beating. But the stuff that's really interesting to talk about, the stuff that that's the best part of the story happens between wrestlemania 13 and wrestlemania 14 so we'll cover that on our next show agreed and it's not just this it's both companies that really hit their mm -hmm. high notes in that span of time yeah 90s because i think 97 is like my favorite year as a fan 97 and 89 and i always no, agree with two things happen in 97 they're monumental in how they propel one company into the stratosphere and they nearly sink the other company yeah i mean within a month of each other not that i want to get i want to talk about it now but just as a, as a little primer Within a month of each other, you have the two most important incidents in both companies' history. You have the Montreal Screwjob, which has been talked to death, but we have to talk about it again. And you have uh, Starcade 97. 97. <laughs> I'm not going to let this happen again. You're not going to let them wrestle a fair fight? What's wrong with you? <laughs> you have Sting. You have, you, you have what should have been the end of the NWO angle, which is Sting... Uh, beating Hogan clean in the what should have happened was Sting being Hogan clean in the ring, and that should have been the dismantling of the NWO. But Too bad we'll Sting talk about didn't it. Work out. No, no. All right, that's it. That's our uh, mania of <laughs> that's our uh, mania of WrestleMania show. WrestleMania is eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Um, so the calendar goes like this: We'll do. 
14, 15, 16 on January 27th. 17 gets its own show because it's the end of the Monday Night Raw and the buying of WCW. There's a lot to talk about. So that's, you know, it's also the kind of the the end of The Rock and Steve Austin as we know it. Um, so yeah, WrestleMania 17 gets its own show. That's February 23rd. March 23rd is the WrestleMania of 18 and uh, Mania of WrestleMania 18 and 19. And then WrestleMania, just just after WrestleMania of this year in Texas, two nights of it that I'm not going to, is our finale show. Assuming this, we make all the dates that we have set, April 6, 2022, the mania of WrestleMania 20 and our finale of this series. I'm going to be sad when we're done with this, Pat. This has been a lot of fun. I'm going to be sad about it, but I'm not going to be sad that I won't have to rewatch WrestleMania 11, 12, or 13. <laughs> or... Or wait a minute now, 21, 22, 23, everything leading up to 30. Oy. All right. Uh, in the meantime, I just finished, because I am a podcast machine, I just finished a review of West Side Story. Shut Oof. up, Pat. <laughs> now With I don't Alex feel so bad about watching WrestleMania 11, 12, and 13. With Alexis Haina, shut up, Pat. Uh, that is now in the archive. till the end. Um, we have the four-part episode continuing with its part two. Uh, Spider-Verse with uh, Jesse Starcher and Benjamin J. Cologne. Tonight, I'll be reviewing Stargirl Season 2, Shut Up, Pat, with Al Sedano. Um, on Wednesday, we have our we have our Rattledge and Broadcasting Network Christmas party. Yay! And we're going to have it on the Metal Hammer of Doom as we have a very poppy Christmas and more. We'll review the four-song EP, A Very Poppy Christmas, plus Eat the NXT Soundtrack. Fear of Dying and Choke, all of those singles and EPs on a very poppy Christmas. Thursday, we've got the last part of the Spider-Verse, myself and Alexis Haina again, doing Spencer, House of Gucci, and the Eyes of Tammy Faye, these eyes. And we end this week, thankfully, with myself and Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy podcast <laughs> doing both Kingsman movies right before Kingsman... Uh, comes out next Wednesday. That's all for me. Thanks. I'm driving. Pat, you got anything you want to add? You can hear me on the Four Kings of Boxing podcast along with Mark Radulich. We just recorded an episode highlighting the showdown between Thomas the Hitman Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard from their 1981 unification bout in the welterweight division. Uh, that's our next episode coming up is going to highlight two super bouts, both featuring the hands of Stone Roberto Duran. One is his challenge to middleweight champion Marvelous Marvin Hagler, the other being his Malice at the Palace clash with Thomas the Hitman Hearns for the Super Welterweight Championship. You can hear that. That'll be being recorded in February because we're taking a little bit of a break in January from that. Uh, but you can catch up on Leonard Hearns and everything else you can hear on the archives here. Um, you'll also hear me on this podcast, our previous episode highlighting, of course, WrestleMania 10, which I attended as a young man. You'll hear us on the future edition, which will highlight, like Mark said, WrestleMania 14, 15, and 16, the Attitude Era years. Hopefully, we do get Stuart Lang back with us and Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, who we've missed. Yes. Um, in addition to which, Pat and I just did the um, Lomachenko Comey fight that was on ESPN. He provided alternative commentary for that and i will hope i know i it's very rare when we can get him out to do boxing commentary but i'm hoping in 2022 you'll uh forgive the boxing gods and come on a little more often you know take the fights that uh, robert winfrey or daniel lasby uh doesn't want so we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna draw you back in pat we're gonna draw you back in from our boxing alternative commentary 
As long as I don't have to cover anything involving Jake or Logan Paul. I would never ask you to do that, sir. It's a terrible, terrible business. Dirty Speaking business. of, Mark. Yes, myself and Daniel Flasby. This Saturday, we'll be covering Jake Paul versus Tyrone Woodley 2, Electric Boogaloo. But more importantly than all that, either myself and Paul Farr or myself and Robert Winfrey, depending on who shows up, we'll be covering the ESPN fight, Otter Betterbiev versus Marcus Brown. All right, that's it. That's all for me. Thanks. I got to get up in the morning. For Pat Mullen, I'm Mark Radledge. This has been the Mania of WrestleMania. Be well, be safe, and behave.